Today on the Topping Show, Vivek Ramaswamy on a newly passed California law in which parents will lose custody of their children if they refuse to transition them. Bud Light kickoff tweet mainly misses the ball. Elon prevents Ukraine from escalating the war. Rotten Tomatoes is caught manipulating ratings. Bud Light easy to celebrate tweet is mostly fake responses. UAW September 8th livestream without the censorship and my charming personality. New Mexico draconian governor bans guns while New York City's mayor is critiqued for being hypocritical since they're now concerned about the illegal aliens in their city after being a sanctuary city for decades. Vivek Ramaswamy and achieving peace with Ukraine. Apple issues an emergency warning because of spyware. Lotus debuts their EV sedan. Honda to adopt the Tesla plug. Kroger Albertsons to plan to sell about 400 stores and Kroger to pay $1.2 billion to sell an opioid claim. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, for all of September, giving away a free flamethrower with every September purchase. Click the website for additional details. And lastly, for the intro, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. I know it's a tall order, but I greatly appreciate it if you take the time to click that button. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Apple issuing a warning due to spyware, which, of course, is the most detrimental thing in cybersecurity. Now, it looks like this is due to the Pegasus spyware in particular. Apple is warning that iPhones and iPads were open to being targeted by state-level clients of the Israeli group NSO. NSO is a a really big cybersecurity developer who invented Pegasus. Pegasus is perhaps one of the most effective tools and threats in cybersecurity that's ever debuted in my lifetime. The original iteration of the technology actually came out a couple years ago in which if you send someone a picture, just a picture, you know, we, for years we've told people don't click malicious links or, you know, website URLs you don't recognize. That's big no-no of cybersecurity. If you don't recognize that link, don't click it because it could be malicious. Now with that iteration, they actually had a technology where they can inject it into a picture. So if you click the picture, it automatically download the spyware onto your phone or cell phone, whatever, or computer, what have you. Now, it looks like this is getting even worse. It, the newest technology, apparently, there's your phone number, and it makes you want to get maybe a rotary phone or maybe a, I was going to say maybe a BlackBerry, but they don't make those anymore, unfortunately. Now, it looks like this is a previously owned vulnerability that allowed Israeli's NSO group to inject the Pegasus spyware remotely and secretly into iPhones and iPads. Now, the weakness is in the iOS code, and it's called a zero day, and appears to have allowed NSO customers, which Again, this is an Israeli-based cybersecurity company making the tool. They sell these tools to other individuals in other countries. And some of those countries include Saudi Arabia, Rwanda, Mexico. And apparently, they were able to hide the code in images sent via iMessage that would allow the military-grade Pegasus spyware to take over the phone's functions. And it is so effective, you wouldn't even know it if you have it on your phone. They programmed it so brilliantly. If they want to, for example, take your pictures from your phone and that's going to take some resources on your phone. You're going to see, hey, why is there data transmission here? Why is there a spike in the usage? They'll actually do it at night when you're sleeping. So, it's, And that's a very rudimentary compliment, to say the least. It's even more effective and far more phenomenal than most people can comprehend. Now, it looks like Pegasus is able to surreptitiously read encoded messages stored on the phone, turn on the camera and microphone remotely, as well as continuously track the phone's location. 
and, and there are a couple of people in groups saying it's been tied to human rights abuses from Mexico to East Africa, resulting in the Israeli company apparently being blast, blacklisted, apparently, by U.S. Department of Commerce. Although I'm, sh I'm sure it's not blacklisted from the U.S. Uh, the three-letter acronyms, because again, this is a ridiculously effective cybersecurity tool, as well as a threat. So I'm pretty sure there are many individuals and companies still using it to this day. Now, hopefully no one was ever affected who's watching the show, but you another reason to always think cybersecurity, the threats are always there and they are always, just like the never ending game of cat and mouse, every time you put up a barrier, every time you try to stop the threat, they come out with something else. So it is the fastest, most fascinating part of IT. Part of the reasons I love being part of the cybersecurity company I mean, is a constantly evolving evolution. It'll, see, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Now, other interesting business use, you have the Lotus EMEA EV sedan to debut. Ouch, it's not with a heavy heart where I say this, it's Lotus. What used to be a proud racing heritage, you know, British racing heritage team, lightweight, stick shift, and Toyota four cylinder engine, but a durable engine nevertheless. And now they've been reduced to making EVs with their sales plummeting precipitously. No one's surprised. Your company's core competency was making fun two-seater little sports cars that weigh hardly anything and have a stick shift with three pedals, as every car should have by default, also known as a manual transmission. And taking those around the track is a brilliantly fun experience. It's a very unique thing. It's a nice boutique product. But now their new flagship model is going to be a EV four-door sedan. Uh, a, little, a, little part, a little part of me just died, just a little bit inside, just seeing what they used to be. And the company is claiming this is their attempt, I would say futile attempt, to compete with companies like the Tesla Model S, as well as the Porsche Taycan, oh, Turbo, <laughs> oh, oh, geez Louise, they, they think they're going to compete with Porsche. That's, that's cute, that is cute, Lotus thinks they can compete, compete with Porsche. Jeez Louise, which Porsche, again, they're part of a larger company. They're part of the Volkswagen group. So they have a lot more resources in general, but Porsche knows how to make fast vehicles. I wish they were all internal combustion engine with three pedals. They actually used to make a three pedal V8 sedan. Now talk about a rare fun experience. Of course, they subsequently killed that option. So nowadays they're SUV, I should say, sorry, an SUV. Three pedal SUV, the Porsche Cayenne. No, yeah, the Cayenne. Southern names sound so, sound so familiar. I would say not the best marketing. Now, here's the historics of Lotus making another four-door. They've done it before. They used a bastardized Opel, apparently in 1990. And that was a four-door. It was a Opel Omega-based, and they call it the Carlton from the 1990. So it, it's not unprecedented. They've done it before. But in terms of what consumers look for when they think of Lotus and Lotus racing, I mean, people think of a fun two-door sportsy car, you know, sport car. Will they get any sales? I, I suppose they're trying to transition to a more of a bigger brand. So they're going more mainstream. But again, that's going to be very difficult to compete with other companies who have economies of scale. Even uh, you have GM that's going to go all EV by 2035 with Cadillac being full EV by 2030. There's a lot of savings that you get when you buy and make products in bulk. Lotus being much more of a boutique manufacturer, they usually rely on partnerships with, you know, the previous Lotus, I believe the Lotus at least had the inline four, the V6 from the Camry. And 
you know, not the most exciting engine, but bulletproof nonetheless, and it had three pedals like every car should. So it'll be interesting to see as they try to transition to becoming more mainstream, will they be successful? That's, well, perhaps the multi-billion dollar question given the cost of research and development to make a vehicle. So it'll be interesting to see if it's a good choice, if they succeed, or do they subsequently just die? As it looks like all Lotus is now EVs, which again, there's a time and place for everything. Mm, I don't think this is their time and place, but who knows, maybe I'll be wrong. It happens from time to time, believe it or not. It'll be interesting to see. Other interesting business use, you have Honda to adopt the Tesla plug. Unfortunately, Honda is making EVs instead of, if it's up to me, it'd be all three pedals. It'd be the good old Civic with the two doors. I can't believe they killed the two-door model of the Civic. I Personally, I love my little green Honda Civic outside of the stick shift, but I know some people want the four doors. It's a little bit more practical given some people's living situations. And they still do make the Civic Type R you know, exclusively in a stick shift. So I do admire, and they are dedicated to the stick shift. They've done some great things. So overall, I still like Honda. And they, again, the best technology on the planet in terms of getting an inline four engine. It'll last you a quarter of a century and it, a million miles. My family still uses a 2001 Honda Accord. Things are bulletproof. And yes, it is just the automatic, unfortunately, with an inline four. But nevertheless, bulletproof. Will EVs be like that? No. Not the current technology. Maybe someday. But that's why... One of the many reasons I don't own an EV currently. Also, they're preposterously expensive. And the best ROI is just to drive what you have to the ground. But nevertheless, it looks like they're adopting it. So their new Honda EVs will be starting to have that plug standardized built in the little cars by 2025. So not too far away, just around the corner. And in terms of a safe bet, pretty much every other company has jumped on the bandwagon when it comes to the Tesla plugs. You've got... Ford, GM, Rivian, Volvo, Polestar, which is owned by Volvo. You have Nissan, Mercedes-Benz, and then Fisker. They've all chosen Tesla. Yet another good example of Elon being a very prudent businessman and kind of seeing more to the future than others. He built out that charging infrastructure and it's going to be paying out in dividends for decades. Yet another reason I've, in hindsight, of course, investing is always 20-20 with the hindsight. Gosh. Should have got that Tesla stock. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see how the, test, the adoption goes. Now, it looks like before its adopt of the NAX, Honda actually jumped on a joint venture with BMW, GM, Hyundai, and Kia, Mercedes-Benz, and Stellantis to build out a nationwide EV charging network. And they say DC fast chargers that aren't built by Tesla were found to be largely unreliable. Yeah, because, yeah you have... Reliability issues when you have GM, Stellantis, Chrysler, and BMW, and who who would have thought? Again, a lot of these companies have their core competencies. GM makes a great V8. Some people in the comments seem to think I have a pejorative feeling about GM because of the strike. I think they make one of the best V8s, bar none. They used to make one of the best sports cars, the Camaro and the Corvette, until they bastardized the Corvette with only having two pedals, and the Camaro. They killed it. It's not going to be a four-door EV sedan or a crossover. The rumor is still out, but the traditional Camaro that you and I love and know with the V8 and the stick shift and two doors, they, they decided to kill that because it was just darn, too darn profitable, perhaps. But yeah, not too surprising to jump down the bandwagon in terms of the EV adoption, the network. I do hope Honda keeps their diversified 
product line where they actually have, you know, not just all EV, but they keep the hybrids as well as more importantly, the ICE engines that last, you know, a quarter of a century. But in terms of a sure bet, if you're going EV, it makes sense to do the Tesla plug. They already have the charging network and the chargers work. Unless you're, you know, get a used Tesla, you're on, get blacklisted because you try to fix it yourself. But another topic for another time, perhaps. Other interesting business news, you have Kroger and Albertsons planning to sell about 400 stores. Now, it looks like they're actually discussing to sell them to C&S Whole Grocers. This is according to an article in Reuters. And it looks like they're reporting about the potential sale is a move that they're apparently doing to try to attempt to get some favor from the U.S. government in terms of trying to pretend like they're not that big because the subsequent merger that they're trying to merge together, Kroger and Albertsons, would be 25, a $25 billion merger, which is ridiculously large. Now, in terms of grocery stores in the United States, and again, we've kind of talked about kind of business trends and where the investment firms and venture capitals look at, no one starts a grocery store. They're usually pretty, I was about, what's more, I'm trying to think of more appropriate word than risky. They're not very lucrative either. In terms of the profit margins, look at profit margins, look at Apple which I believe is 2020. At one point, they were the most profitable company on the planet. More profitable than oil, gas, diamonds, gold, every other company. Apple was the most profitable company on the planet. That's because they make a lot of software and of course they make a lot of luxury hardware for people who want less speeds and feeds, but more, more glitz and glamor. Burn. I actually do own one iPad. I won in a, what was it, an IT giveaway? And I use it to actually prop up my month to-do list on a little stand. But it, it is a great stand, don't get me wrong. Very brilliantly designed. But in terms of grocery stores, you know, Apple is about 50% profit margin. Ridiculously good. Grocery stores, you know, that's technology. That's usually good for software and in hardware. And then you go, grocery stores is like 2%. So that's why there's no startups. And that's why I think... If the government does care about monopolies, it kind of depends on the industry and the administration, there's a lot of politics involved. If they really do care about monopolies, they probably wouldn't want these companies combining because again, there's not going to be any more new grocery stores in our lifetime. Even if you're tuning in and you're 19 years old, you're not going to see a new grocery chain pop up and rival Walmart. It, it's st statistically nearly zero. It's never zero completely, but even if you're a billionaire, like even if Bill Gates wanted to start his own chain of grocery stores, he would be losing money for so long. And then what would be the upside? Because again, you're only making 2% profit. So that's why I, I think from a business perspective, it's darn near inconceivable for there to be a startup in that industry, which is also why many grocery stores become almost more of a hybrid or a whole store where we have companies like Target and Walmart where they actually have other things like TVs, laptops, clothing, which are more profitable than the 2% that they can make on an apple. And I mean, the apple that tastes good, not the one that you cost more than a kidney with the technology. Now, in terms of the size of stores, in 2021, the top 10 stores, and then again, this was by sales figures in the United States, number one was Walmart, makes sense. Number two was Amazon, which they are expanding because they bought Whole Foods, and then they do have some Amazon delivery, where if you have lots of money, you can have them deliver your food. You have three, Costco, makes sense. Four is Kroger. Five is Albertsons. Then you have six, Arnold Halinzi. Seven, Publix, eight, H-E-B, represent the best state of the U.S. 
Texas. Nine is Meyer, and 10 is Target. So you'd have the number four and the number five grocery stores in terms of the largest by sales per year, they would be combining. So I don't think divesting 400 stores is gonna sway a politician or a regulatory board if they're really concerned about monopolies in this very limited industry. It's even more, actually no, no, it actually is even more stale than the automotive community. Automotive community, in terms of giving props to Tesla, they're the only successful car company startup in the United States since Chrysler. Every other one, all the other ones have gone out of business. Rivian, we're gonna see once they get the profitability, you know, still kind of shaky there. So historically that, even the automotive industry, which again, pretty stale for most decades, even they actually have more competitors popping up than grocery stores. So given the administration, and again, you know, politics plays into this, I'd venture to say number four and five, I don't think that merger is gonna be approved. You're already seeing the government, again, this more of a global government's talking about the Microsoft Activision Activision Blizzard merger or proposed sale merger. That's already getting some pushback. I can't help but think, I don't, let me know in the comments, do you think this would actually go through? It's one of those things where, given all those factors mentioned above, I don't think this sale is going to be approved. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, gotta be three cents. It really should be four cents, but I'm such a generous person, only three cents. But still free to click that subscribe button or like or comment. Each one of those things greatly helps the channel grow and develop. And going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Elon Musk preventing Ukraine from escalating the war with Russia, possibly avoiding World War III. Now, this is due to his involvement with another company because talk about, talk about entrepreneurial spirit. How many companies does this guy own by now? This is because of his involvement with a startup called Starlink in which it is a fascinating satellite-based telecom company or particularly internet delivery company. So it's an internet company and a lot of people in the United States already know it because you got the cool dishes on your RVs or you're using it in remote technology if you're on a farm. It has a lot of benefits because, of course, satellites are much more easier to transmit data than cell towers. Cell towers, they send it, with the exception of perhaps a tornado coming through town, cell towers stay very rigid and they stay in place for most of the year. I was about to say career, it's just a tower. Not really a career, but most of their duration. So satellites can move a lot more quicker and they cover a lot more distance, of course, which might get that flexibility. Now, when the conflict broke with Russia and Ukraine, Elon Musk actually decided to give away the technology for free, which, to the Ukraine, which is ridiculous. He did not have to do it. He was, in terms of business decisions, that was certainly not a prudent business decision. He should have just went to the United States Department of Defense. Again, the United States has given over $100 billion into the Ukraine in cash, as well as, you know, physical, tangible, tangible goods, including military gear, humanitarian gear, which who knows where it's going because not really a lot of accountability or oversight, but another topic for another time. Elon, he should have just went to the Department of Defense, he's printing money and said, hey, I got this awesome technology that would actually be revolutionary for this conflict and it would help him out ridiculously. Why don't you actually compensate me? But no, for a couple of years now, he's at a loss. So a couple hundred million dollars in hardware, you know, he actually just, they sent out the actual dishes as well as actual payment of the maintenance. So this actually came out a couple days ago. And there's a little bit of misinformation about there's people thinking that Elon actually shut down Starlink in a particular region around Russia 
to prevent Ukraine from being more offensive. Now, the clarification from Elon himself via the Twitter sphere, or now X, this is a quote, well, as you can say, it's a tweet or now a post. It just feels cooler to say tweet. Let me know in the comments, do you call it a post or do you still call it a tweet? Nevertheless, Elon's statement on the platform is, quote, there was an emergency request from government authorities to activate Starlink all the way to Sevastopol. The obvious intent was being to sink most of the Russian fleet at anchor. If I had agreed to their request, then SpaceX would have explicitly complicit or would be com explicitly complicit in a major act of war and conflict escalation. So it looks like it is a venture, or perhaps SpaceX is helping out the satellites. Starlink is a technology that actually does anything. Now, interestingly enough, his response got 5.7 million views in two days and 39.9 likes. That's a lot. That's quite a lot of rights. Although, not the best ratio. That's 0.7%. Now, interestingly enough, top responses seem to agree with Elon's sentiment. Somebody named Graf actually said, quote, Musk did the right thing. There's no obligation for a private entity to start World War III. Nothing is worth a nuclear war, unquote. That individual got 51.4 thousand views and two or 1,214 likes, giving a ratio of 2.36%. Not too shabby. Now, you also have somebody named Daniel saying, quote, destroying the military assets of a nation that is invading you is fair game and not escalation. Now, that counterpoint actually got 559,000 views and 9,332 likes, though that is just a ratio of 1.67%, so not the highest. So a couple conflicting tweets throughout the conversation in terms of opinions. You have a couple more. You have Mario Nawfall, who I don't know how much credibility he has left. He is one of those deplorable more one of those deplorable, morally vacuous people who actually bought bots for Twitter to boost his stats. I was going to say, I might not have many followers on the Twitter, but all 230-something of them appear to be real people. Now, he, Mario said it's more nuanced that, or, um, to Daniel's response, Daniel's response talking about the, you know, destroying military assets. Mario said it's more nuanced than that. Unfortunately, wars are never that simple. You got 2,112 likes out of 289.4 thousand views. So it looks like a couple, yeah, I'd say, I'd say, eh, probably about 50-50 split in terms of the opinions. And rudimentarily speaking, it sounded like in terms of the technology, Elon didn't want to activate it on an area that's part of Russia, because if he did, then Ukraine forces would have access, internet access there, and their drones would be able to communicate with them, and they would be able to operate them in Russian territory. And granted, all along, I was told we were just supporting Ukraine to defend themselves inside Ukraine. Funny how things have changed so quickly, and now they're on the offensive. Though a football coach or a sports ball coach would probably say the best defense is a good offense or something, something cliche like that. Though that certainly wasn't the message that the politicians told the United States citizens. Granted, how often are they actually accurate? Less times than you win the lottery. Less times than you win the lottery. Other interesting cultural news. You have Bud Light closer to kickoff tweet, but so much further from the truth as most comments are being more and more censored and the positive comments, if any, are seemingly fake. Well, perhaps fake as well as people with no personalities and or. So 
going to the Bud Light, and again, I have to, I actually have to do, I have to use my different profile for this. So this is the Topping Show handle on Twitter that I used to see Bud Light because they blocked my personal Twitter because I had the audacity to respond saying, thank you for reminding me to buy Yangling and a picture of some with a couple of Yangling bottles and cans from my carbon fiber American flag over on my, in my studio for my interview podcast. Ridiculous to say the least, of course. Now, specifically the quote that came along with Bud Light is, because they had a little graphic, so the quote is, another hour closer to kickoff and another fan just scored beer money. Keep replying at easy to celebrate and at sweepstakes to make every hour a chance to win. And then they have a picture of the Kansas City or KC. It's got an arrow on it. I want to say it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Now I'm curious. What do they have a sports ball team? Ball team name. I didn't know Kansas had football. I was right. The Chiefs. I know the sports ball is better than I thought. Although at the end of the day, all you really need to know is the Patriots. And then... The Tampa Bay team, really wherever Tom Brady is, and then you just know who won the Super Bowl. That's a majority of NFL knowledge, I believe, for the sports ball stats you need to know. So they've gotten to the point where they're just bribing people. Because again, they admittedly said they're going to spend a lot of money on marketing because they had the business plan of the century of insulting their core audience base, as well as people in the middle, as well as people on the right. Now, interestingly enough, someone responded to the comments last week saying, you know, people on the right are boycotting this company. You're hurting an American company. Great job. Which... There are many things wrong with that statement, and I'll appropriately respond to that tonight when I catch up with comments. I do apologize. Sometimes it takes some time to respond to them, but I always do respond, and I always keep the comments open. The only exception, and I don't like this, is when Google shuts it down, which I find morally and mentally vacuous and deplorable to actually shut down conversations between people who actually want to have a conversation. Disgusting, because censorship is disgusting. But nevertheless, they're not American-owned. You could argue they're hybrid because... They are bought out by InBev over in Belgium, which they make good rifles and I, perhaps some good coffee. Or no, waffles. Waffles. Waffles are rifles. Now, there's some redeeming factors in Belgium, go get, go get, get me wrong, but it's not really an American company anymore. The Bush family sold off. They sold it. And in terms of people on the right boycotting, I know a lot of people in the middle who are boycotting them as well, and people on the left. Don't forget, Bud Light, say what you want. They... You have people on the left who are saying that they did not, quote-unquote, stand with Dylan Mulvaney. Because they did not do that, you actually have gay bars who are boycotting Bud Light as well. Famously, there's a holding company in Chicago where they own the four or six bars in the Chicagoland area. And it was a gay, it was a gay, gay bar holding company. And they said adamantly they would refuse to serve anheuser Books products again because they did not stick with Dylan. It's not just people on the right who are boycotting Bud Light. Quite the opposite. It's actually people on the left and people in the middle and people on the right. So perhaps opposite isn't the best word. It's a boycott that's affecting many political groups. As well as people who just don't want to have a conversation of why are you drinking that piss water? Well, maybe it's a bad habit. In this case, maybe they got it for free. Now, literally just the only way they can overwhelm the negative responses is to have people want free beer which free what's the cost to your dignity sir if you actually if you actually reply to that wanting free beer i can't imagine how bad your life is for you to actually hope to win free bud light like 
That imagine I can't. How sad is that? Like your life is so bad. A highlight is you taking the time to actually put your name, put the comment on there on the Twitter, and hope you win a case of Bud Light. That that perhaps that's a great example of someone that could be a winner and a loser at the same time. A rare phenomenon, but a phenomenon nevertheless. Now, in terms of the statistics on you know how many people actually looked at this, they did get some more likes than usual. So they got 178,000 views. So a little bit better than usual. And they actually did get more likes. They usually get between know, 50 to 150 likes, presumably the last people who still work there. Now in this case, they got 1,249 likes out of 178,000 views. Now we'll do a bit of math here today because you know, Public schools are all-time low for math scores. Well, also science and also history, which perhaps explains some of the many bad things that are happening in the United States. But we'll do some fun math here today. That's a 0.70 like ratio. Not the best, obviously. Now, in terms of some of the top responses, you have some by the name of Autumn Rain, which makes sense. I suppose it does rain in autumn. Name is appropriate, I approve. Now, this person says, quote, no one wants a Bud Light, unquote. This person got 1,333 views and 70 likes, which is a pretty darn good ratio coming in at 5.24%. That's quite pretty good. You also have someone by the name of Billy Williams saying, quote, I love the fact that I live in a major city and every restaurant I go to mysteriously does not have Bud Light or Budweiser on tap or even on the menu. That's never happened in my life. Now that person got 610 views and 33 likes. It's pretty darn good. That is also a 5.4% like ratio. Quite impressive. You also have an individual by the name of Lucy Fur saying, quote, if let your friends know you're drinking a real beer, quote, and then she has a koozie that says not Bud Light. And she got 432 views and 20 likes, giving her a ratio of 4.63%, which, that's pretty good. But you might wonder, where's our friend Rich Money, or Mooney, the guy who does all the awesome polls and statistics? He's usually prominently there, and his messaging is not pejorative or disparaging to Bud Light. He usually just posts saying, hey, if you were to be at the store today, what would you buy? Would you buy an Anheuser InBev product or would you buy not an Anheuser Busch InBev product? Well, he's there, but he's hidden. Because Bud Light, like people who have most morally vacuous ideas in history, they don't believe in free speech. Bud Light is hiding pretty much every negative, or even in this case, observational post that they can think of. So they're getting rid of these polls, and I can't help. Those are, you know, three. Of the most, those are the T, the ones that I just told you about. Those are the three most popular comments by the number of likes. There are other comments, but there are all these, and I don't know, these people have to set up a bot or something. I can't imagine you have enough time in your life to click on these bullshit sweepstakes. Now, there's probably, oh, it never ends. It's gotta be a bot. There's gotta be a way to sell or do that. There's, because I'm scrolling through their Twitter right now. 
is a bunch of people just saying the hashtags for the sweepstakes where they could, again, they could sadly win a case of Bud Light. And interestingly enough, n none of them are actually getting likes. They're just, oh, oh no, someone got one like that. So, uh, uh, some, they did get one like that. That is something. It's just all fake responses and sweepstakes responses. So in terms of think about the future of Bud Light, they might just only do sweepstakes because then they'll have the people who have these bots or presumably too much time in their hand where they'll go and they'll enter the sweepstakes. Cause I clicked on some of these profiles and totally speaking, I checked out four profiles who are saying just, you know, hashtag sweepstakes, their whole life is sweepstakes. Every one of their posts, every notification, everything on their profile has to do with some business doing a sweepstakes, which is ridiculous. But getting to the hidden replies for this particular Bud Light post, you find our friend Rich Money, M-U-N-Y. And he is saying, quote, to create a false illusion of support rather than using transparent tools like reporting offensive tweets, limiting replies, and sending tweets to hidden replies, at Bud Light misuses, abuses the blocking function by blocking thousands for being unsupportive. Can't, I can't help but agree even more. Now, in terms of this tweet, I said it was closer to kickoff but further from the truth. Well, it's one of those instances where it's also further from sales. Now, thanks to Rich, and again, this particular tweet, it's not disparaging. He's not saying, you know, Bud Light go to hell. Most people are thinking that, but he just says, here's some sales figures. And he says, quote, Bud Light sales are down 30.3% by volume from last year, while Budweiser is down 14.4% by volume. And of course, the rebates have gr grown widely available. And if you look at the other hidden responses, the other ones are Alyssa Heiderschall, who will go down in history as one of the worst marketing, I was about to say minds, but a mind would be too much of a compliment, perhaps mentally vacuous persons in history. She was a person who thought, that's a good idea. Let's hire someone who Dylan Mulvaney's core audience are his teenagers on TikTok and children on TikTok, let's give this person a brand deal. Turned out to be not a good deal to at all. So thanks to Lister Hire Child, they've lost $20 billion in stock valuation and so far $400 million in sales. That was just for fiscal Q2. It's going to get even worse because again, as we're reporting this week over week, you look at the week over week sales, they're all down 27 to 30% on average. So Q3 numbers are right around the corner, fiscal Q3, and it's not going to be good. So you have her, Alyssa Hirschild, standing on the grave with a little peace sign. And of course, the, on the gravestone, and the gravestone says Anheuser-Busch 1876 to 2023. So those are some of the hidden responses. And unfortunately, we're just going to see more and more of this. What's a nice way of saying censorship? Oh, there is no nice way of saying censorship. Morally vacuous censorship. Again, call me old fashioned, but I'm one of those folks where I might not agree with everything you have to say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. And a good example is just be, look at my videos where I critique the United Auto Workers. A lot of people do not like those videos, but I keep the comments open and I address them appropriately. I take the time to research my points in the comment section. I'll tell them, hey, here's an article where I saw the cost of labor compared to the other companies such as Toyota and Honda. Here's why I think this particular marketing point from the AW is not realistic with this hyper-competitive global economy in this instance. Again, some of them just tell me I'm awful, which again, quantified a little bit or critique 
Make it so it's actually a constructive critique. So like at least research your point. Make it more articulate and constructive. Would make things a little bit easier. But again, I keep the comments open. Unlike Bud Light. Because I know they're just indefensible and they're not getting any support anytime soon. Let me know in the comments. Do you think, will they ever let up on the censorship? Will they ever decrease that? Or will it just get worse and worse as a futile attempt to try to keep the negativity at bay or decrease it? They're trying really hard, and these sweepstakes are somewhat effective because, again, it's plastering all these people's stuff on there as they futilely want to win a Bud Light, which I can't think of a more unappealing sweepstakes in my life. Of all the things I've seen where you win a car, you win a vacation, or anything, I, I can't think of anything, any price worse than Bud Light. Like, I, I would not even take the time necessary and the cost to drive five minutes to the grocery store to redeem that. Because that five minutes, not only my time is worth something, it's worth presumably something, but the gas to get there, even if they delivered the Bud Light to me, it I, it wouldn't be worth my time to enter it on the sweepstakes. It's also perhaps because it tastes like piss water. Allegedly, I haven't had it. I, I am an early adopter, you know, mark the record. I haven't had a Bud Light or bought a Bud Light, I believe since, when was I in, when was I in Iowa in college? Jeez, what was it? 2009, 15 years? Time is going by way too quick, but quite, oh no, actually, no, wait. About a decade, I'd say. Nevertheless, quite some time. Also, on average, I prefer spirits on the occasion. Carlos for it, but I partially digress. Other interesting cultural news you have Rotten Tomatoes caught inflating ratings and manipulating them with a new report, thanks to the sluice at Vulture and a person by the name of Culture Crave on the Twitter sphere, in which they find a PR firm had been manipulating Rotten Tomatoes scores for over five years and paying critics directly. Uh, it's one of those things where, very similar to the Twitter files back in the day when Elon dropped that and showed us how morally vacuous and disgusting the previous owners were in terms of censoring most people in the middle and on the right, for many years, we always thought it was curious Politically speaking, movies on the left, some call them woke, some call them leftist, whatever you want to call them, movies with those types of themes, they always got really high scores. And yet, the audience scores are never great, but the critic scores are always high. Personally, I knew Rotten Tomatoes was BS when I saw they gave a higher Rotten Tomatoes score to Hannah Gadsby over Dave Chappelle. Now, Hannah Gadsby, for the people who have never heard of her, she is a very, she is a famously known insufferable potato. Oh, she's allegedly a stand-up female comedian. I don't know if that's really true, though, because I've heard her and I have never laughed. It's an alleged comedian, most would say. But they lifted her up and artificially gave her a higher rating. And at the time, everyone knew, at that pivotal moment, I believe, people realized Ryan Tomatoes was full of crap. Because literally anyone will tell you, Chappelle is the GOAT. There's very little debate when it comes to that fact. The greatest of all time stand-up comedian. I mean, he literally is perfectly articulate and he makes jokes about everyone equally. But they gave him a lower score than the human potato, Hannah Gasby. Of course. And of course, she is a leftist, politically speaking. Very... What's a nice way of saying? Very short hair. Kind of like a potato Harry Potter if he gained a lot of weight. Similar hair. 
It'd be like Brian Stelter if he did stand up, or apparently. I always thought his career was a joke, but you get what I'm saying. Now, this goes on to say that this is from Paul. The PR firm was actually caught, and that PR firm is known as Bunker 15, and they actually were paying people $50 or more for positive review. And they would all, and this is from Culture Crave, he said they would often recruit obscure critics who are part of the pool tracked by Rotten Tomatoes. These payments were, typic, were not typically disclosed, and Rotten Tomatoes says they prohibit reviews based on financial incentive. Now, they noted that one film, Ophelia, no idea what that is, and it started Daisy Ridley, which I, the only Daisy I know is the, is the BB Gun Company, but apparently Daily Riley, Daily Riley is a person. And that score went from 46%, then after they paid critics, 62%, which is still not great, but again, went up a little bit. Now, Culture Crave goes on to say, Rotten Tomatoes has delisted a number of Bunker 5 movies from its website and sent warnings to writers to review them. And they claim that they have integrity, you know, now, now we want to make sure we do the right thing, or so they say. But is this really that much of a surprise to anyone? They're paying for positive reviews to put certain certain movies with certain themes in certain percentages to make them look as good as possible. Just think of all the times you look at a movie and go, that was a really good movie. I liked it. Then you look around Tomatoes and it is just rated terribly. I mean, I can't help but see it time and time and time again. And this original report in three days that tweet got 14.1 million views so thankfully i think more and more people are coming to come to the realization that rotten tomatoes well they're rotten from the inside pun obviously intended did it land probably not but it might and that's worth the attempt now again we got 14.1 million views and 72.7 thousand likes no not the best ratio coming in at 0.52 percent but still not too shabby and we you look at the feedback of all the people in the comments well a lot of them they're pretty much the same sentiment that i'm expressing right now no well, i guess one or two people are shocked but less of them are just saying the obvious yes someone by the name of julio saying quote we can't trust rotten tomatoes anymore and they actually started a hashtag apparently not my tomato or tomato if you're british and this person got 50 likes out of 11,400 views. Another one saying rotten is rotten, BS. Another one with a, I don't know what movie it is, but the, someone with a weird gift saying, wait, you guys trusted Rotten Tomatoes. Person got 37 likes out of 2,058 views. And they're just all negative. So not too surprising to find out Rotten Tomatoes is rotten from the inside. But let me know in the comments, did you, did you still trust them? I can't help but think it's been 10 plus years since I actually used the site in order to see if I'd want to see a movie. Of course, I usually don't go to the theaters. I got stuff to do and eh, life's too short. I would always say, I think when was the last time I saw a movie? Usually on the treadmill is the best place to do that. But I think I've been to the theater sometime, allegedly. But let me know in the comments, Does, are you going to still trust Rotten Tomatoes with their reviews? Did, did you ever trust them with their opinions? Or did you just kind of see them as a novelty 
and just laugh when you see the discrepancies between the audience scores and the, crit and the critics' scores when it came to the films. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, they're definitely not going to go out of business. They got a lot of money behind them. They get Allegedly, they get money from the studios as well. So I'm pretty sure they'll be around for quite some time, but I don't think they'll ever be trusted again. Well, at least if people actually look at the news and they find out about the situation. It'll be interesting to see, but time shall tell. Other cultural news you have, Bud Light attempting to tweet again. Now, this one says, week one is here. So they say it's easy to, this is a, this one is a, easy to celebrate. Well, unless you're censored. Now, the whole thing is saying, quote, week one is here and so is the beer. I was going to say false advertising. It's piss water, but I'll reset. Week one is here and it's a quote. Week one is here and so is the beer. We're giving away beer to every hour as we count down to kickoff reply easy to celebrate and sweepstakes for a chance to win yep so they're doing it again more sweepstakes because they know again th these people have to have bots reposting for them or their life is so slow and they have so much time in their hands they go and they do these sweepstakes because i've looked into some of these people anecdotally speaking i checked out five different profiles where they did the hashtag re reply and sweepstakes their whole profiles is just pages of pages and pages of replying to every business sweepstakes you could possibly imagine. Which also makes me wonder, what's the point of these stupid sweepstakes for a lot of these companies when I don't think they're authentically a fan of the company. They just want free stuff. Now, I don't know how many real fans there are of Bud Light. Apparently, perhaps they're just alcoholics who are really desperate to get a buzz. And, and don't get me wrong, that's possible, but you need a vast quantity of Bud Light because there's very little alcohol in it. And I would argue the taste isn't worth it. But they attempted to put this tweet out and they actually have a 15 second, what is this little commercial here? Wow, that's loud. Football. Is that it? That's the laziest commercial I've seen in my life. I mean, it's not, their war it's not their worst marketing blunder, but all it is is a can. Text goes on the screen saying football's back to celebrate, and a helmet slams into a can. And you have the big Bud Light can with the logo of the NFL saying the official beer of the NFL, which means you had a couple million dollars. Because not all the time, but an overwhelming majority of the time when you see the official X of whatever the hell brand they're endorsing, it just means they got paid a preposterously high amount of money. It's not because I authentically like the brand. Don't get me wrong, that happens from time to time. But it is just, it's one of those weird things. I'm fascinated it works in the United States. I don't know if people just don't realize this or they just don't care. I, it's, I find it fascinating that sometimes that marketing tactic still works these days. But yeah, they apparently put out that video. And in two days, they got 139.2 thousand views. And they actually got some likes, which is a rare thing in and of itself. Of that many views, they got 1,309 views, which is pretty good considering they usually get between 50 and 130. So 1,309, that, that, that might be 100% participation rate from every employee who still works there. Maybe. I'm kidding. I know they have a couple more than that. They just subsequently, they, they've been laying off more and more folks as they've starting to feel the effects of their terrible business blunder. Now, that gives them a like ratio of 0.94%. So, in terms of ratios, they're getting up there. It's usually 
much, much, much worse than that. Now, interestingly enough, they did not censor our friend Rich Mooney, where traditionally they had been. Now, he has poll somehow, I need to ask him how he got this back on, but he actually did a poll that did show. Previously on other posts, they were hiding it. So perhaps, maybe, maybe the person at Bud Light just drank too much Bud Light and they didn't realize, oh no, there's a poll out here and they're going to realize people don't want to buy our product. But nevertheless, he made it through the, out no, I was going to say the algorithm, the censor. Now, he, this is from Mitch Mooney saying, quote, Bud Light says, week one is here and so is the beer. At game time, what will you have? He says, the two options, of course, being Bud Light for me or no Anheuser Bush and Beth product for me. People said no came in at 84.7%, which is actually kind of low. It used to be in the 90s, between 92 and 97% a couple weeks ago. Perhaps it's because they're blocking more and more and more people. Probably. They blocked me or my personal profile, which all I did at my personal profile, which is at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G, at Nick Topping, all I did was have the crazy idea to repost to their original post saying, thank you for reminding me to buy Yangling. And I had a picture of Yangling beer from a carbon fiber American flag. Well, perhaps because they're, they're offended perhaps by the American flag, since Anderson Bush and Bev is a global Belgian-based company. But nevertheless, it looks like they actually got some people saying they wanted to buy Bud Light. So 15.3% of people said they wanted to buy Bud Light. That's more than ever before. Now, interestingly enough, you did have 1,595 views when it came to that particular one. And out of all those views, let's say, how many likes was that here? That was 50, 54 likes, so not too shabby. Getting a 3.39% ratio, interestingly enough. And if you look at all these other tweets, or rather the responses to that tweet, there's all the sweepstakes. And of course, no one likes it. It's just, it's got to be a bot. But all these sweepstakes. Now, interesting enough, you have one or two people saying, go bud. I don't believe that. Someone says, go bud light. Someone by the name of June. And you look at their profile. This person really hates Donald Trump. Because that's all of it. So, interesting. Perhaps that's their new target market? It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, one more. We'll do one more. Football. Rachel Grace, a sweepstakes. This person said they like Bud Light. They said, let's go at KC. And this person is one of those scam artists who say, yeah, complete this and you can win $2,000 cash. So I don't know if they're a bot or they just have the personality of a bot. We'll see, but interestingly enough, more fun is when you go to the hidden responses. So if you go to the hidden responses, which again, no good person ever does censorship or believes in censorship. You have one response that is hidden by name of Pierre for PM, presumably someone who's French, perhaps. Now they have a Photoshop picture of Bud Light but it has the F word, and it's not the swear, but the pejorative slang uh, um, for the LGBT community. They have the F word light on a can, and the text to the side is, cut your private part off. Which, 
they actually have extra text at the bottom that says, please cut off your private part responsibly. So well, that's not too shabby. That's not, that's a good, that's, that's that, that last part where it says, please cut it off responsibly. Instead of the traditional, you know, disclaimer when he sees advertising for alcohol, it says, please drink responsibly. That last part, that last part, I'll give him, that is like a little bit of a clever pun. The last part in particular, the top is kind of cliche. I've seen it before, but then interestingly enough, there's a lot of people who are just blocked saying, you blocked me. So they hit the reply rather of this person say, Dr. T. Amira. And this person had a screenshot saying, Bud Light has blocked you. You cannot, you can no longer see their post. So interestingly enough, it looks like the blocks are happening more and more and more. But if people keep creating new Twitter profiles or X profiles, whatever you want to call it, how long could it, how long will it keep going? These sweepstakes are certainly a good way to drown the conversation with fake responses. How long will they spend money on these sweepstakes to drown out the truth? One month? Two months? Three? They said they're going to spend a lot of marketing this year to try to get those customers back. You won't. Because just like a bad relationship, when an ex messes up or a husband or a wife make a mistake and they come home with morons, but one of those stupid things in the ground called diamonds. Which again, it's just useless carbon, but they come up with diamonds or flowers, say, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, no, it's worse. This situation is actually different. They're not even saying sorry. They're just saying gift, free beer, which again, how, how sad is your life where you, a free, a good thing is winning a free Bud Light? But these persons, they need some friends in their life or something. We, go out and park. I don't know. Go out and do something, dear God. But it'll be interesting to see. I don't. I don't think these are going to stop anytime soon in terms of sweepstakes, but I think the boycott will continue. Their sales figures are supporting that theory, but I think the negative responses will, they'll, they'll still be there. I think they might increase as more and more people are blocked by blocking people. I can't help but think maybe those people feel even more offended. So they'll create another Twitter profile or X profile, whatever you want to call it. And then they'll comment again and again, it'll be interesting to see. Let me know. Do you think, if they just relentlessly block everyone, will eventually there only be positive responses? Will those people be more offended? Or will they, will they give up and acquiesce? Just like, ah, that's fine, I'll let them block me. Or will they stand and fight? It'll be interesting to see, but let me know in the comments. For now, time shall tell. Going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy on the California law for president to parents to lose custody of their children if they refuse to transition them. Now, this is one of those political issues where I've noticed this with many topics and concepts where you have something happening in Canada and the law will be passed in Canada and subsequently it'll be passed to Diet Canada, which many would call California, which many would also call Diet America perhaps, but nevertheless, the law will go to Canada, then the theme, again, it's not the same law being passed in terms of the bill number. I'm saying the body and the meaning of the law is replicated. So it's replicated to California and then goes to the rest of the United States. And you've seen this with many different topics throughout the years. And in, in Canada, you actually have fathers where their children are being taken away from them. They're being put in prison if they don't use the preferred pronouns their child demands. Literally prison. Because again, you do not have free speech in Canada. They're trying to do that in the United States. 
Michigan passed, I believe it was through their House, going to the Senate a couple months back in June, where if you did not use someone's pronouns, they'd be classified as a new hate crime and you would be fined $10,000 or be put in jail. And again, when it comes to the issue of pronouns, there are some people with religious faith-based backgrounds where that's the, it's the opposite of their faith. They believe God, God created you and you're perfect just the way you are. You're in his image. So that community, that law goes against their faith base. You have also people who they just don't believe in the pronouns. They believe in, I was going to say the science, but it's kind of cliche to say, but there are a lot of people who they're not just faith-based. That, not just that specific group is going against this cultural phenomenon, some might say, but they don't agree with it. Well, they all might be subsequently arrested in the future. Now, Vivek, he had a response to this, and his response went viral. I mean, in one day, it got a million views, which is astonishingly successful. One of these days, we will get there. Now, he responded, and I'll read his text before we play the appropriated video. Actually, no, given the context, I'm going to play the video first. So this video, let me pull it up right here. I, I can't tell if this is a man or a woman. Now I'm curious. I have to Google this or brave accurately. I might, eh, Scott Wilson. What is this? Scott Wilson. It's gotta be California. Really? Hard to say. Now, this individual originally reported by Colin Rugg and Colin, and again, Vivek's responses to this, so we'll read this first. Colin Rugg said, quote, just in California State Assembly has passed a bill allowing parents to lose custody of their children if they refuse to accept the, their child's gender transition. They want your kids. Quote, California lawmakers sent Gavin Newsom a proposed law that required judges to consider a parent's affirmation of their child's identity in custody cases, unquote, reported by Zafasta on X. And this video is Senator Scott Wiener has no kids, co-authored this legislation. And then the other comment from Colin Rugg is creep. That parents affirm their children. They have since the dawn of time. Typically, it happens when they're... Um, gender and identity expression matches their biological gender. But what happens is when it doesn't, that's when the affirmation starts to wane. And that's what we're dealing with here. Although it's called the TGI bill, they're not mentioned. Oh no, that's Lori Wilson pictured. All right. Or speaking rather. I think. Oh, that's what the text says. All right. Anywhere in the law. What's mentioned in the law is the child's gender identity and expression and the parent's affirmation of that, whatever it is, because that is our duty as parents to affirm our children. Really? I didn't know that. So this person saying that that's the job of the parent to affirm the children. So if your kid wants to eat only candy as their diet, you have to affirm that decision. I don't think that I don't think that logic strain or lack of logic flows with many people, not just politically on the left 
or politically on the right, I think, I shouldn't be surprised this has become a political issue, but I think a lot of people in the middle are starting to be concerned that, again, these drugs have never been tested in terms of long-term. Lupron is actually developed for child predators to neuter them, and that's the main drug that's being used for these instances. And again, children can't consent. I think there's a lot of people who don't consider themselves politically active are starting to think, well, you have one side saying, we're gonna transition your kids and we're gonna take them away if you don't. Another side, well, I would say doing something, what's the right doing these days? Hardly anything I would say. And then, then you have Vivek who's starting to stand up and say something, which is more than most politicians who acquiesce from all responsibility. Now, Vivek's response to this was, quote, affirming a child's confusion isn't compassion, it's cruelty. Trans is not, trans is a mental health illness and should be treated as such. Protect our kids, unquote. And again, Vivek got a million views in a day. And interestingly enough, got 10,600 likes. Now, some of the top responses for Vivek, interestingly enough, were kind of mixed. So you have someone by the name of Amy, who, okay, she, if I look at her profile, she's a leftist, a little background there, but she says wrong, which, and she got 10 likes out of 526 views. You have David saying, David Tejeres saying, California is going downhill fast. 25 likes out of 1,962 views. And you have many, you have Childy Uzikistan saying, quote, we must protect our kids. 10 likes out of 3,243 views. Says Daniel Marta says, quote, exactly a very harmful and should be banned nationwide. Another one says, feels so moon saying, quote, California still has the most conservatives. If you look at the numbers, they need to act now, unquote. Which again, I can't believe if you're politically right and living in California, why the hell are you living in California? You're paying, what is it? A huge income tax on top of all the taxes and your vote barely counts. It, it does, but statistically speaking, it's been blue for decades. Similar to Illinois, well, that's been what? Illinois has been, well, at least the mayor of Chicago, 90, 92 years. There are some areas where they're so entrenched politically, it makes more political sense to move to a purple state if you are politically ambitious or you want your vote to be, or a swing state, if you want your vote to have a greater impact. Now, interestingly enough, you look at Colin Rugg, who's the original reporter on this, or one of the original, I should clarify. When you look at Colin's responses, he got 7.5 million views. And his top responses, one was from Elon Musk saying, quote, this is an outrage, unquote. And he got 190.3 million views, or sorry, 193,000 views. 190.3,000 views. I, for Elon, it really is bizarre when he only gets a couple hundred thousand views considering he's like isn't he the most followed person on twitter now so i would say if elon really wants to have more of an impact on this specific political issue probably more prudent to just post it as opposed to responding but another topic for another time and he got 7,617 likes giving a ratio of four percent not too shabby now you also have someone by the name of western lensman saying quote this is pure evil they will stop at nothing to destroy parental rights and make your children wards of the socialist state. This person got 210,000 views, or rather 
specifically 210.7 thousand views and 6,114 likes. Not too shabby, that's a ratio of 2.9%. Now, Colin Rugg actually responded to his own original tweet. Colin Rugg said, quote, they're basically saying, if you don't align to our liberal beliefs, we can take your kids, unquote. Now, he got 193.7 thousand views and 6,305 likes. Pretty impressive, 3.26% like ratio. Yeah, so scrolling through a couple of the other comments here, you have someone by the name of Paul Hookum saying tolerance is a path in which he has a meme which shows a inappropriately jet, I'm gonna say very inappropriately is to say the least, a lot of skin being shown where some, you have a drag queen reading books and dancing in front of kids wearing very little clothing at all, which, and then the bottom says, your children are the destination. Another where a child is putting money into a trans dancer, I would guess a stripper, which again, you wouldn't do that at a regular strip club. Why this is deemed societally appropriate is beyond, my, beyond me. Now, in terms of Vivek's initial tweet and his response to this, I think perhaps one of the most important topics to a lot of people is cliche to say, but protecting their kids. If you look at a family in the United States, what's really important to them? Cost of their groceries, making sure they have their jobs, protecting and have a nice state community, their kids, their family. And in terms of moves on a political chessboard, not a lot of Republicans are speaking out on this. Now, perhaps that's because most of them are rhinos, which is a pejorative term that means Republican in name only. Can't help but notice people when they go to DC, there's always a lot of Republicans who switch sides when it comes to voting on bills. Democrats never do that. So again, a friendly reminder, if you vote Republican, make sure you enthusiastically check on the status of their voting patterns and appropriately vote them out and vote someone in that's actually gonna stand for their beliefs and the things they claim they believe in when they're campaigning. A friendly reminder of the day, I have to do this for the people politically on the right because you don't see this issue on the left. People who are Democrat are Democrat. They don't switch votes. They're not, there's not a closet Republican. Fascinating phenomenon in DC. But nevertheless, in terms of Vivek's move on the political chessboard, I think this will resonate with people in the middle. Let me know in the comments. Do you think I'm completely wrong with this? Am I, is it a swing and a miss? But for my three cents for this topic, on the move, in terms of the, move, the moves on the political chessboard, I think Vivek is being very strategic in this. And I believe he also most likely authentically believes in it as well. But I think there's a lot of people, and again, when it comes to winning a presidential election, you need people in the middle. I think a lot of people make the mistake of becoming entrenched being in the left or on the right. You do need the middle in order to win. You need the majority votes. And there are a lot of people who are undecided. There are a lot of people who don't even have a political affiliation that they're registered as. Partially because they've been so alienated and screwed over by both sides, I would also argue. But so those instances where I think this will resonate with people in the middle, as well as politically speaking, people on the right, as this has become a political issue, more people politically on the right believe in this stance of the parents know, know what's best, the government is not the parents, that is in no way appropriate for them to take your kids away, as we've seen schools do so often before. So politically speaking, I think it's a proof move by Vivek, and I don't know, it perhaps won't double his you know, numbers in the polls, or the these pollings, but eh, maybe 
maybe a single percentage point, but sometimes that's all it takes to overcome your opponents and become the nominee, which is what right now they're all striving to do. So it'll be interesting. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this is a, a quote unquote winning political issue to bring up? I can't help but think it is because I think a lot of parents are worried about the future and they're concerned that they will lose the right to decide what is best for their kids. And I would say because they spend the most time with them and they're the most invested in them, they're a part of them. It's, it's their right to protect their kids. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation got it, got increased it to three. It's one of those instances where should charge four cents really, but it's one of those things where I'm a generous fan, just three cents. Though it's still free to click that subscribe button as well as give feedback in the comments and the likes. It's all greatly appreciated. Other interesting political news, you have the UAW president, Sean Fain, putting out a live stream on September 8th. So I know that is a couple days from now, and there's some things that'll be noted in this video that are already, already outdated because it was a couple days in the past. I said from now. Was it the age-old saying, reverse that. Now, Sean Fain, interesting enough, I can't believe it, the live stream is actually open. So it wasn't the complete censorship that they're known for. Although, no, no, I think there is a way to disable that perhaps in live stream. But of course, if you go to the comments section, they're always dirt turned off, which I can't help but think that it's only the people with indefensible ideas, only the most mentally and morally vacuous people want censorship. And again, look at my, my videos on the UAW. There are a lot of people who do not like my opinions and do not like the facts I bring up, but I keep the comments open partially because I want your experiences. I love hearing about different opinions, different facts, different ideals, and I take time to respond. I apologize if I'm a couple days late, because again, I work a couple jobs, and I might not be always the fastest to respond to the comments, but I always leave them open so we can have these discussions because I want to hear the different perspectives, and who knows, we might even change each other's mind, we might learn something new. But it'll be interesting to see how this video is received. Now, this is a live stream and I'll give Sean credit. Although he may not be effective in terms of getting what they want negotiating wise, he is entertaining for marketing. So you have him sitting in his office and behind him is a garbage bin or as the British might call it, a dustbin. And it has, see, he took craft paper and he cut out words and he cut out words that say big three proposals, which is what this is all about. The big three is the, kind of the, not slang, but it's the name of the big three automotive companies, which used to be the pinnacle of automotive. Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. Now, subsequently, GM has gone bankrupt several times since Billy Durant founded the company, combining Buick as well as Oldsmobile. But you, it was 2009, you have both GM and Chrysler go bankrupt, partially because of the economy and partially because their costs are outrageous for the UAW. And in terms of giving the union credit, during the bankruptcies, they relented on some of those benefits that were fiscally impacting the company negatively. So I haven't seen this speech. I didn't list, I should clarify, I didn't list the whole thing. I looked at the status bar and I scrolled into the part and found the part where we actually started speaking and then backed up by three seconds. So it'll be interesting to see. Will he say something I agree with? Most likely not, but I want to know what's on his mind. It'll be interesting to see what he says. Let's dive in. Hey, good evening, UAW family. 
and especially give a special shout out right now to our uh, local 551 rally going on over Chicago. Sorry. I Already an issue. He didn't suit up. Come on now. Every man should always suit up. It's the best. That's a joke, you see. I allegedly do own a polo with a, with a little embroidered logo on it. And he did do that. He does have the UAW logo on him. I couldn't be there with all of you, but uh, thanks for tuning in. We actually have over, almost 12,000 people tuning in right now. And uh, before I get started... I would tell you the responses in terms of how many people agree with him, but the comments are disabled. Interesting. Started. I, I do want to... Granted, you do have the live chat, and it's mostly fans. But in terms of people who aren't in the UAW... Yeah. Apologize for, for getting on here late. Uh, we got a lot going on right now. Um, just to let you know, all three of your vice presidents and your bargaining committees are, are working their asses off right now. Um, you know, uh, uh, working late into the night, and uh, we spent a lot of late nights, but uh, we got a long way to go. So, um, before we get rolling here, though, I do want to honor our UAW members on strike um, on the front lines of the fight against corporate greed. <laughs> Um, we're still talking about our brothers. That is the funny perspective that a lot of people have in the comments when people think I'm rooting for the big three in terms of the corporate execs. No, I just don't think there's a lot of transparency on both sides in terms of, I remember one comment on LinkedIn when I was commenting on the situation, said, oh yeah, Mary Barrow makes 27 or 20, $29 million a year. I'm like, that seems like a lot. I, I, let me look into it. And I did. I looked it up on the internet. That's her total cop. Which, in terms of what happened, What's really the issue for the cost of goods sold for the cars? That'd be the comp that's, you know, paid out. So she makes about $2 million a year, I believe, for her salary, which pretty darn good. But it's one of those things where the rest of it was benefits as well as stock. Which stock, but when I go buy a Chevy, if I were to, why would I buy a Chevy? That's a hard, that's another topic for another time. But if I were to buy a Chevy, it doesn't matter how much stock she has how much she pays or how much she is paid a little bit but stock and right now again they're currently proposing a cost of 80 billion dollars per manufacturer over the cost of four years which you're correct that is more than any other automobile company sisters out there at west rock in region 9 local 2326 members health care is under attack still despite the company's massive profits throughout the pandemic and beyond and, and still our brothers and our union family out there at Thombert in Region 4, Local 997. The company's still pushing proposals that would completely undermine the union. Uh, you know, this all goes back to the same thing. Corporations want us to believe there's nothing we can do to stop their race to the bottom. But our local 2326 members at West Rock and local 997 members at Thombert are proving them wrong. Never forget that when our labor isn't valued, we have the power to withhold it. We have the fundamental power of a strike. Please visit the UAW Region 4 Facebook page and donate to the cause of these striking workers. It's our solidarity that makes us stronger than any corporation. So tonight we're gonna to talk about what's on a lot of people's mind. With six days left until our contracts expire at the big three, the automakers have yet to offer our members a fair contract. Again, that's going to be the debate of what is fair. They've all been making offers, some more than others, but again, they're asking for, what was it, 40 to 46% increase in compensation? 
I think if GM came back came back in at ten, and I don't know how how many of you got a forty percent raise? How many of you get what kind of raises are people getting these days? Most businesses, even Google and Microsoft, the largest companies on the planet, they're all getting rid of employees, firing tens to, sometimes ten thousand people at once. Most companies are really hurting right now. But I digress. We gave our economic proposals to Ford, GM, and Stellantis. Well, Stellantis is the parent company headquartered in Europe, which bought Chrysler, which also owns Jeep as well as Dodge. So they're a European conglomerate or a parent company behind many automotive companies now in charge of US-based Chrysler, or now kind of a subsidiary. Well over a month ago with a clear message. We aren't going to stand by and allow you to continue to drag out negotiations like you have in the past. September 14th is a deadline, not a reference point, for all three of these companies. Finally, after weeks of delay, we have counteroffers in from each company, and I've filed them in their proper place again. Ah, uh, that's a joke, because he actually has a dustbin behind him with crumpled paper on there, which... Part of me does appreciate a good dad joke, so don't get, don't get me wrong. That's not a terrible joke right there. But it is funny that he's complaining about them dragging their feet where unions, not just the UAW, a theme in unions is when they're upset, they'll slow down. I've seen this, you've seen this kind of at uh, hospital strikes throughout the years where they'll do the task, but they'll be as slow as possible as a form of protest. So it's one of those things where both sides are doing it. It's not like it's only the corporations doing it. But I digress for now. So tonight I'm going to get into the details of what the companies are offering and what the companies think you're worth. After raking in record profits for the past decade, we'll talk tonight about what they think you deserve versus what they take for themselves. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge the moment we find ourselves in. This isn't just about the latest offer from this or that company or this or that piece of contract language. It's about uh, the- Interestingly enough, it looks like GM is still in debt by a couple, was it $100 billion? Jeez Louise. I'm sure they'll, kind of like the US government, $32 trillion in debt, they'll pay it off. I don't know how. I'm kidding, but they, statistically, I don't think they will. This moment in history and it's about the movement we've built together. We live in a time of record inequality. The rich keep getting richer while the working class falls further behind. The smart emotional rhetoric. And like some, some messages, there's a little bit of truth in there as well. There are a lot of people struggling these days as well. Interestingly enough, fun fact, my family is from the North. I do have experiences on both, oh, not personal, my ecosystem, my family, do have experiences on both sides of the aisle when it comes to the automotive industry, UAW, as well as the management side. Fun fact. The wealthy live in comfort while the working class lives paycheck to paycheck. For many working people, it's harder and harder to see a future for ourselves in this economy. Auto workers have been on the front lines of that. For the past several decades, We've been relentlessly under attack. Our plants have been closed, families torn apart. Our standard of living has dropped like a rock. 
Now, why do plants close? There's really only one reason why, because they're not fiscally attractive in terms of if a plant is losing money, you usually get rid of it. Why are they losing money? Sometimes the vehicle, maybe the vehicle wasn't marketed right, but a lot of times it's not, it's not, phys, it's not physically feasible, fiscally feasible rather, because cost. And again, a lot of things go into that, including the cost of labor. Our work-life balance is a joke. Our retirement security is a myth. And the auto companies have also been on the front lines of that. The big three have profited a quarter of a trillion dollars in North America in the last decade. Their CEOs have made... Is that revenue, profit, EBIT, earning before income tax? What is that? Hundreds of millions of dollars personally. Well, yes, that's what happens when you work your way up to get to become the CEO. You're rewarded for making good decisions and fired subsequently for bad decisions. In the private sector, that's usually what happens. If you're in a union, you usually get paid just to stay there longer and longer. I have, there are many hilarious and sometimes, uh, sometimes morally depravity stories where you hear about people where, oh yeah, they've been in the post office for 20 years. Do they perform good? No, but they're in the union. They, perhaps the pinnacle example of a union being the postal service. They jack up. Another issue, or rather clarification, if you don't like how much the CEO of GM is making, for example, if you don't like how much Mary is making, or if you don't like how much Chris is making, Chris being the CEO of Ford, become a shareholder. Buy a couple shares. Go and vote. Those are some rights you get when you are a part of the company and are invested in the company. Car prices. They shortchange the workers. They take whatever they can get from the U.S. taxpayer. And they pocket the profit for themselves and their Wall Street cronies. See, there's something I do agree with in terms of the taxpayers. Why are the taxpayers bailing out these companies? I don't think that's fair. You also lost money on an instance. So, see, there's, there's a kernel of truth or perhaps a, something we do agree on. For years, the big three have gotten away with this. They've been the leading edge of corporate greed. They beat down the workers, they weaken our unions, and they break the law if they have to. I mention all of this because the proposals we're going to discuss today aren't just words on paper. These negotiations did not happen in a vacuum. They're a reflection of the balance of power between Big Three's corporate greed and UAW solidarity and organization. But he just said you guys have all the power, you could strike. Huh? These companies offer what they think we're going to accept. And let's be real. Workers accept what they think they can win. Did he just describe negotiation? They offer what they think they're going to accept? Okay. When we build our collective power together, we can change that equation. Over the past several months, that's what we've been doing. Together. We've been organizing like hell. We've been speaking the truth. And we've been standing up. And that's what we're going to continue to do up to and beyond September 14th if the occasion calls for it. So before I get into the details of these proposals, I also want to take a minute to recognize our incredible negotiators on this contract. Vice President Mike Booth, Vice I mean, I would congratulate them once you come to an agreement, because right now, 
there's not much good happening in terms of both sides. There's not really a, they're not building common ground so much as they're going back and forth. So, I mean, they're, they're on the case. I don't know what kind of upside they're getting yet. President but. Chuck Browning and Vice President Rich Boyer have been doing an incredible job of leading your bargaining teams that, the, that all of our members elected. They see the incredible organizing going on at the plants and locals across all the country, and it keeps all of us, all of us charged up. They have your back, and they know you have theirs. So let's get into this. <clears throat> Seven weeks ago, we put forward our members' demands. These were our core economic proposals to the companies that reflect a sacrifice that we've endured and the profits we've generated for the big three. For weeks, we've heard nothing. Crickets. Finally, last week, we got a counteroffer from Ford and still nothing from GM and Stellantis. So we filed unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB against GM and Stellantis for their refusal to bargain in good faith. What do you know? Or just taking their time like you yourselves have done? Despite talking about how offended they were and how the charges were frivolous, suddenly they got their act together and offered up proposals to our demands. Hosting bar oh, they monetized the video. Hilarious. The union dues aren't not enough. Finally, the big three comparison. We finally begun to see all three companies at least submit something, which is why I wanted to have this update. On Wednesday, we gave Ford a counter proposal to Ford. Uh, we gave a counter proposal. Again, I'm, I thought he was going to go over this, but maybe not. So I'm just going to give the list of what their original demands were. Again, this is straight from Sean uh, Fain. It goes the 10. One, elimination of tiers, which means everyone would get paid the same in terms of new hires, I believe. They want a substantial, su substantial wage increases, double digit increases, please 40%, which again, I can't fathom that being acceptable in any business environment in terms of, I don't know how they'd accept that cost. Restore of cost of living, which again, they might get that. You know, I'm not saying they shouldn't get all these. Well, unless the business want to be insolvency is an interesting thing. Uh, let's see. They want defined benefit pension for all workers. Reestablish retiree medical benefits. That again, that was one of the biggest costs during the '09 bankruptcies. It, again, that's not even a debate for another time. Healthcare, because I would argue, because of the interference of the government, how disgustingly entwined it is with bureaucracy and myriad reasons it is expensive in the United States, especially retiree benefits. You also, they want significant increase for retiree pay. Okay. That's again, they want a right to strike over plant closures, which again, another issue with that. I see specifically, I see a parallel. Think of Radio Shack. Radio Shack used to be a great Fort Worth based company, Fort Worth being a city in the best state of the union. Texas. Now, when Radio Shack first went bankrupt, it was a couple years back, around 2012 era, I believe. And it's one of the instances where the first time went bankrupt, they're bought out by American General. One of the contingencies of them purchasing the company was telling Radio Shack, hey, 
We like you because you have a lot of locations throughout the whole US. There's a certain value to that. On a condition of us buying you out, you cannot close any more stores. That was detrimental to Radio Shack, obviously, because they're no longer a business. I was going to say, I should probably zoom out the camera one of these days. There's a little Radio Shack sign. I'll put it in the YouTube co uh, community. I'll show you the Radio Shack sign on the wall. Kind of see the antenna where they're advertising Archer antennas. But nevertheless, that was one of the reasons they went bankrupt for good because Radio Shack had a lot of stores and sometimes they were oversaturated. As in, you had stores right next to each other, but you had other stores where they weren't making enough sales, but they couldn't close them. So they were losing money on those stores. And again, that's not the only reason Radio Shack went bankrupt. That's another whole other topic for another time. But that was a huge contributing factor is they had a lot of stores that were losing money. And especially in aggregate, that is a huge negative for the company. So this is bullet point number seven that the UAW wants, the right to strike over plant closures. Again, that would be my concern from a business perspective of why that might not be a prudent thing to, to allow. You also have Working Family Protection Program, a nine end, what the hell, end abuse of temp workers. How are they, I don't know how they're defining abuse here. And then they say, and one, oh yeah, they want the pay, you want to get paid 40 hours a week, but only work 32, which again, no, and no other industry, uh, I'm trying to think who else gets that. The defense industry has a fascinating thing where they do, they get every other Friday off, but they work more hours to offset that. But I, let me in the comments, do you know any other instances where people get paid 40 hours, but they only work 32? Again, that's a huge cost and you're losing efficiencies. So I wouldn't think that'd be prudent to give them, but let's, again, so that that's what they originally asked. And again, if they were to give all that, that would cost 80 billion per big three. So for Ford, GM and Chrysler, over the course of the contract, which is four years, $80 billion. Perhaps they're like doing the Trump, the art of the deal. You ask for a lot and then you get, but they don't seem to be budging anything, but that is what they originally wanted. So now we're going to go dive in into the offers from the big three. Also Ford, and they in turn responded on Thursday. On Thursday morning, GM gave us a proposal, an insulting proposal, but still a proposal. And finally this morning, Insulting or realistic? Stellantis gave us their counteroffer. Here's where things stand on our core demands. Under tiers, we need to end the broken system of unjust tiers. We believe in equal pay for equal work, that no worker should be treated like their second-class citizens. We proposed a 90-day progression to top rate, the rest are... Wow, imagine that. Imagine joining the company and in 90 days you get paid the top. That's a lot. Creation of pensions and post-retirement health care for all. That's a Ford lot. Ford has proposed a five-year progression down from the current eight years, and they rejected all pension and retired. Again, any other company, I can't imagine getting the top paid here so quickly. Like, perhaps it's apples to oranges in terms of my anecdotal experience personally, coming from the, I used to be over in, well, when I worked for someone else, I was in sales, and you would progress to different pay bands, but it was based on your performance, not tenure, and it took a lot longer than 90 days. So that's, I mean, from their perspective, that would be amazing. From the cost of goods sold and the business perspective, is that feasible? I would be skeptical. Very healthcare proposals. 
GM proposed a six-year progression, also rejecting all of our pension and retiree health care proposals. GM, so Ford did not go bankrupt during the 2009. Again, so it's fascinating to see some of the miscommunication. Again, there are some nuances when we're talking in text and going back and forth, when you talk to YouTube comments and LinkedIn comments. Someone actually thought that I was insinuating that GM caused the 2008 bank, the financial crisis. No, that was the government and the bank. That was the government and the whole housing issue. No, they didn't cause it. I'm saying they were, the UAW and the whole union is a contributing factor of why GM went bankrupt. So GM, General Motors, as well as Chrysler, now Stellantis, Chrysler went bankrupt in 2009. Ford was beat to death. They were down to like $1.82 per share, but they didn't go bankrupt partially because they were lucky and took out a big loan. But they were all negatively impacted. GM going bankrupt, and you look at their portfolio, you look at why, one of the big contributing factors was the pensions. Again, I had some relatives who had that, and they, I hear the stories, and I can't imagine the costs. Again, it was great, but there was also a time when GM was the largest auto manufacturer of all time, and they, they've been losing market share since the 60s for a myriad of reasons, not just because of the UAW, partially because you know competition came, you know, and we've all seen what happened there. But I digress. We'll go back to this. And they want to continue the substandard pay scale for CCA and I mean, substandard, it's more than the competition, as is. GMCH workers. So GMCH, what is that? Again, let's see, what is a GMCH worker? Again, I'm seeing this in real time. Or, sorry, not real time. I'm watching this for the first time. GMCH worker holding tiers. So that, okay, so that's, that is going back to the tiered system where people are paid differently based on their tenure, I believe on tenure, close to progression, GMCH, GM deal, General Motors component holdings, GMCH, GMCH. General components holding workers, the third, oh, so it okay, says so the third tier in the GM UAW contract. Interesting enough, subsidiary. So it's part of the tiered system. All right. Stellantis also wants to keep a six year progression to top rate. Maintain. What you, you get? Name one career track where you can actually get paid the top pay in six years. That's, I mean, most people take decades to get the top of their field or pay band. The tier system by rejecting all pension, retiree health care proposals, and keep the substandard pay with our parts depots. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a subsidiary. That so said, he said parts depots. He says it's at Mopar, which is their parts depot division. Under wages, in our member demands, we propose significant double-digit pay increases of 40% to match the salary increases of the big three CEOs. To catch up with this brutal inflation. It's one of the most hilarious things when it comes to people comparing CEO pay to employee pay. And they always say, oh yeah, if they took a if they just got rid of that big salary, everything would be fixed. And then they realize, kind of like when people win the lottery, oh yeah, if they just gave it away, everyone would be happy. No, everyone gets like, what, two, three bucks? Four bucks? It's like, it's one of those funny things. Because I mean, think of GM alone. Are they still hovering around? How many employees are they at these days? Again, these numbers are just people who have a LinkedIn profile. So active LinkedIn profile, they have 132, 
8,039 employees. So overall, they have much more than that. But even just by going by, again, 30, let's see, 132,000, 32 and 39. So if Mary Barra was to get paid nothing this year and her base salary is $2 million, every employee would get $15. That's actually a overestimate. It would be much smaller than that because again, GM has more than 132,039 employees. That's how many active employees have their profiles linked to GM's page right now. So again, $15, is that, and again, it's even less than that considering the whole company. So actually, let's see here. So let's go back here. And to make up for decades of falling real wages in this industry. That's hilarious, he noted, to catch up with inflation. Hmm. Where does, the G, where does the UAW donate a lot of money to? And who causes inflation? That's right. Politicians are one of the biggest contributors. The people who just keep printing the money machine. Overwhelmingly, look at the UAW's contributions throughout the decades. They play, they, they've gotten a lot of people elected with the money they've given them throughout the decades. And they overwhelmingly give to one side of the political aisle. So it's almost as if they cause their own issue. Ironic, some might say. Ford has proposed a 10% raise over four years with lump sum bonuses that many employees won't be eligible for. Does he say why they won't be eligible for? No. Give us more data. GM proposed the same, except members at CCA would only get 2% over four years, and GMCH... All right, that's going to bug me. What is GMCCA? Okay, so it's a subsidiary, General Motors, Customer Care, and After Sales. Okay. Would get no raises. This morning, Stellantis offered 14.5% over four years. And for their salary bargaining unit people, they offered lump sums only. I want to be clear. This is movement. We went from 9% at Ford to 14.5% at Stellantis. That's happening because we're putting on pressure. But I want to be clear about something else, too. A 14.5% increase over four years is deeply inadequate. It Based doesn't make what? up for inflation. It doesn't make up for decades of falling wages. And it doesn't reflect the massive profits we've generated for this company. Under call I would love to see a table or a graph that talks about the efficiencies of the UAW versus other automotive workers, such as the ones who work at Tesla, Toyota, or Honda. He's saying they generate all of this, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm, I used to be a big fan of the Camaros and the Corvettes back when they actually were sports cars with three pedals and a stick shift, as every car should have by default, but that's also part of the reason they're so expensive. Because of the cost of labor, that is more expensive than the competition. And it's Cost of living allowance, we propose the restoration of COLA, cost of living adjustments that would help all So they want to cost of living adjustments on top of a 40% increase in wages. And again, what other industry expects that much of an increase in wages? Most Americans, every big company, it seems, is being laid off in terms of, you look at their employee numbers, they're decreasing their employees. 
Walmart is not frozen their hiring. They are actually hiring people. They fire people, but subsequently last week, they announced that they're going to be hiring people for their e-commerce dedication at a much lower rate. Because again, everyone is tightening their belt, even GM. So if you look at these companies, GM paid out or they bought out 5,000 employees in February. So 5,000 salaried employees were bought out because Mary Barr, they're desperate to cut cost. Because again, they, I don't agree with the business strategy of going to EVs for General Motors in particular, for an example. I think they make a great V8. They have made some great Corvettes throughout the years, great well, Camaros when they used to have stick shifts, well, all of them really. But it's one of those issues where their idea is to go full EV and they are going to try to compete with Tesla. With all the data I have right now, I think that's a futile attempt at best. Because again, not only does Tesla have the reputation, but they have a huge lead on the competition, not just for GM, but they're an innovator. They're the first to market. There's a big value prompt behind that. And if they want to transition the company, so GM Cadillac, she wants to be full EV by 2030. GM wants to be full EV by 2035. That's going to cost a lot of money, not just in research and development and making new factories, but also you have to hire software engineers. You're going to have to develop an IT company. It's going to be a huge transition. It's going to cost billions. Also, some of these websites are saying that GM is 100 billion plus in debt, which again, is long-term debt, but it's another cost that needs to be taken into account. So again, a cost of living on top of a 40% increase in wages, like that's, again, most people aren't getting both of those things. I mean, when I used to work for a tech company, we didn't get a cost of living adjustment. Every year, if you, if you do good, you get promoted or you wouldn't get promoted, but there wasn't a standard, oh yeah, every year you're just gonna get paid more because of the economy or because the government that they're voting for prints more money and creates more inflation. So again, I, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think they're gonna get both of these. If I were to kind of look into the magic, the magic crystal ball and guess what's most likely gonna happen, I would guess they're either gonna get no cost of living adjustment and they will get a greater, bigger number for the increase of wages, but I don't think these companies, GM, Ford, or Slants, I don't think they're gonna do both. Because again, you, I don't see that a lot in the private sector. I know this is, the union is so big, it's almost like a public sector job in many regards, but when I look at the other industries and all the data I have right now, you look at Honda, Toyota, like, uh, let me know in the comments, do you think they'll get both? Let me know, but right now, I don't think that's realistic. workers keep up with inflation so we don't get left behind economically. Ford has proposed a severely deficient COLA formula using a formula that would provide 0% increases for 10 of the past 13 years and would be projected to add zero in raises over the next... Is he talking about because of the outliers that were this couple of years? Which again, you get what you vote for. And again, in terms of who printed money, both politicians did it during the lockdowns. You had a change of, you had a change of folks in the White House and they both printed a lot of money. Subsequently, the latter did a lot more printing of the money, which hurt inflation, but you get what I mean. It's four years. Let me say that again. Ford proposed COLA formula is projected to provide zero in terms of raises over the next four years. That's not COLA. That's not even Diet COLA. Ah, That's Coke he, Zero. He is clever. The dad jokes... 
it's hard to find someone who doesn't like a good dad joke. So in terms of marketing, I think he's doing a pretty good job with the dad jokes. Because again, it is always good to break the ice, so to say. So I always ask someone, how much does a polar bear weigh? Just enough to break the ice. Let me point something else out. For years, we've heard from these companies that cola is not possible. It's not realistic. Suddenly, though, it's a very deficient proposal. Cola is back on the table. Despite the severely deficient cola Ford is offering, they've beat GM, who haven't moved on cola, and just proposed lump sums that many employees won't receive. And Stellantis rejected Now, I wish we, again, I, when it comes to any topic, I want more data, the better, which is why, if you're part of the union, again, would love to hear your input, because more data, the better. But, yeah, why don't they receive it? I would be interested, why? Is it because of their classification as a worker, their tenure? Why? Again, we'll keep going. Our cola proposal. Well, we challenged ourselves to. That's hilariously ironic. So the company that's advertising on this is Fisker Automotive, which they're not part of the big three. So perhaps they're attempting to poach labor. But again, if you're working on the big three, you're getting paid more than any other automotive company. Probably not going to go somewhere where they pay you less. Although. There'd be some to say in terms of reputation. You could say you work for a company that makes a car that lasts a quarter of a century versus a disposable car. Some might say. And again, going back to that topic in the comments a couple weeks or last week, there are many reasons why some cars are more reliable than others. I know some is because of engineers choosing cheaper components. That's also partially because they have less money to work with. But I do appreciate that input or that note, so to say. There we go. Under profit sharing. We put forward a proposal to provide workers $2 for every million dollars spent by the companies on stock buybacks and special dividends. If they've got money for Wall Street, they sure as hell have money for the workers making the product. <laughs> not no. That, that, yeah, if I was to share, yeah, that's not what stockholders want here. Stockholders are the reason people hold stock, or rather, sorry, dividends are the, may, the reason why many people hold on to these stocks. People who have these stocks, I talked about this with T-Mobile as recently as last week. T-Mobile had a big article where for the first time ever, they're paying dividends, partially to compete with the two behemoths, Verizon as well as AT&T, who for years, they pay dividends as well. So what would be better money given them, giving it to the UAW or the people who are more vested in the company, they're buying part of the company? I would say... Again, maybe if, if they could drive down costs, that'd be interesting. I know they're talking about profit sharing, but again, in terms of in, in rewarding employees, it kind of used to be a cliche. You watch a lot of old movies, you work really hard, you come up with a new innovative idea to save the company money, you get a bonus. I think that's a good idea. Get, come up with ideas that would save the company money. I don't know, we'll, we'll keep going. Not only have they not met our proposal, Ford proposed a scheme. So wait, they Providing workers with two dollars for every one million buyback and share. Yeah. No. So, and again, there's also so there are a couple of reasons why companies buy back their stock historically speaking, and it's not just because they want to keep the price of the stock up. It's also partially because they think it's undervalued. But yeah, this would actually this would give them a negative incentive to buy their own stock. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't think that would have shrunk probably. 
Yeah, let me rewind that actually. Profit sharing. Let me see if you can clarify this. Despite the severely deficient COLA Ford is offering, they've beat GM, who haven't moved on COLA, and just proposed lump sums that many employees won't receive. And Stellantis rejected our COLA proposal. Under profit sharing, we put forward a proposal to provide workers $2 for every million dollars spent by the companies on stock buybacks and special dividends. That adds up quick because there are a lot of UAW members. A lot. If they've got money for Wall Street, they sure as hell have money for the workers making the product. Wall Street actually, again, Wall Street has a stake in the business as well. Not only have they not met our proposal, Ford proposed a scheme that would have shrunk profit sharing checks. It is funny because, again, there are nuances to everything, but it is funny. Just you choose different vernacular to get your points across. It is funny that he says scheme because, again, in terms of the United States, that it's a very more of a pejorative term for a plan. By 21% over the past two years. GM's proposal would have meant a 29% smaller check last year. Stellantis rejected our profit sharing. But that's smaller than nothing. I mean, because they're proposing this two dollars for every million on buybacks and special dividends, and increases in normal dividends. Yeah. Proposal completely. So Under ten. Again, again, if you're part of the UAW, you know who Stellantis is. But if you're not in the automotive community, Stellantis again is the parent company behind Chrysler, which also owns Dodge and Jeep, and Stellantis is European based. We proposed ending the temp abuse or the abuse of so-called temps. I, it's already illegal to abuse temps. So you're not supposed to like throw Pepsi cans at them. Oh, I was going to say, or cola cans. That, a cola can, that would have been much better pun, some might say. More appropriate to the topics. But what does he consider abusive temporary prize? Who are exploited at low wages for years at a time and, and, and also denied the full benefits and wages, despite working endless hours to keep these companies going. I don't think he understands what the purpose of a temporary employee is. They are to be temporary and to be more cost efficient. And it makes no sense to pay them more the same. It, I don't think he understands the business concept behind this. Temporary workers oh, should be converted to full-time after 90 days with full pay. <laughs> Oh God, this is terrible. He's never owned a business, I would guess. Again, I'll do more background on Sean, and I understand that the union members like him. I've read a lot of comments and reviews and the videos that say they voted for him overwhelmingly, they appreciate what he's doing. This is terrible. Very similar to the people who said you should get rid of free internships. That it's not a good idea. Partially in this case, it's well, oh, for internships, most companies actually lose money in terms of the efficiencies of the person you're, that's in that position. And they're getting something that's rarer than gold, I would say opportunity to learn a new trade, learn a new craft. And again, like most things in life, more government bureaucracy, the worse things get, and the less opportunity there is. Now, specifically for this case, they want to have it so that they are converting, converting them in 90 days. It, it, I got I to gotta relist this. It can't yes. be right who are exploited at low wages for years at a time and, and, and also denied the full benefits and wages despite working endless hours. You don't get, that's, 
that's part of the condition. That's partially why they're attractive. And again, it would be financially burdensome. They, they wouldn't even be temporary employees anymore. He's, his idea is basically to get rid of temporary employees with, with these conditions. ...to keep these companies going. Temporary workers should be converted to full-time after 90 days with full pay, benefits, and profit sharing. So they're going to become super temporary workers? So the way he's saying it right now, and again, I'm seeing this for the first time, in 90 days providing all be all benefits and profit sharing, then they, they must, he's basically getting rid of the idea of temporary workers, because why would they be a temporary worker then? Is he, and again, he might clarify in a second here, we'll find out, but is he saying with that vernacular that they must be converted within 90 days? So once you hire them, you have to become full-time? And is this saying after 90 days, you're not, they would become by default, I believe, a full-time employee? That, again, that'd be a negative incentive that would basically get rid of them using temporary place at all, which strategically, strategically thinking that maybe is their perspective and their goal. Because again, the more full-time workers they get, the more union dues they make, and the more billions they can give away. Oh, I'm sorry, donate to politicians. Unions in general gave one point, was it $1.8 billion to politicians in 2020 election, or the midterm election rather. The UAW, I believe it's 48 million. Let me know in the comments if you know a good website for that statistics. I've seen a couple contradictory numbers and I'm trying to find something that's impartial, which again, isn't always the easiest thing when it comes to finding some of this data, but I'd love to find out how many millions are they giving away this year? Across all three automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, we've received proposals to raise temp worker pay to $20 an hour, Jeez. but provide no path to full wages and benefits. Under job security. Is he not going to say him? Okay. Temporary work. So, okay, he's not, I don't think he's breaking him down, so I'll say him right now. So, like, so Ford, their proposal was no path to full time with, he says meager, he's saying increases to $20 an hour, which is awesome. I wish I was making that much earlier in my career. And an 8% cap. Makes sense. GM proposal is no path to full time with, again, He's saying meager wage increases to $20 an hour, which is nothing wrong with $20 an hour. And Salantis, they said no path full time with wage increases $20 an hour. Workers should be converted to full time after 90 days with full pay, benefits, and profit sharing. Across all three automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, we've received proposals to raise temp worker pay to $20 an hour but provide no path to full wages and benefits. And again, I was going to say, I'm just, well, I'm, I've seen, while they don't have, you know, actual comments open for people who are not in the UAW, in terms of the comments on the screen for the live stream, the people who are in the UAW members, they are supporting of him, which makes sense, but it's interesting to see a lot of them continually, continually praising his words with a couple, not a lot, they're against him. Under job security, we're fighting like hell to keep good jobs in America and to put an end to plant closures that destroy our communities and tear our families apart. So I have a great idea that would actually get, you're never gonna get full 100% employment. You'll never have 0% unemployment. There's some people that just, they don't wanna work. And again, there's some people who can't due to medical reasons, what have you. but. A really great way to boost the economy and increase employment, get rid of all the bureaucracy in the United States around minimum wage laws. 
get rid of that this morally disgusting idea that if you don't have the skill set to get what the government says is a minimum wage, you can actually work your way up the corporate ladder. Because that's what the government is saying. If you don't have the skill set that warrants their arbitrary minimum wage number, then you don't deserve opportunity. Which, there's something, there's nothing more disgusting than taking away an opportunity. And one of the best things about the United States is there are people who've been able to work their way up from the bottom. Bob Iger from Disney, the current CEO, who I may not agree with politically speaking, I applaud, I admire his work ethic. He actually started, I believe, sweeping floors at the television studio or television channel ABC, and he worked his way up, all the way up, to become CEO of Disney. Which, granted, of course, I find them morally vacuous and disgusting these days. But in terms of working hard and having career progression, that's quite admirable. If you get rid of the bottom rungs of the corporate ladder, it's hard to climb it. But I partially digress. That's why we proposed strong job security language creating the worker family protection program to disincentivize the big three from killing jobs aka you saw about closing plants which again talking about the radio shack analogy and i know it's not an apples to apples comparison in terms of radio shack didn't sell cars or assembly cars but that was one of the issues where if you have factories that are losing money again and again you have to close them like otherwise i was gonna say i was about to make a joke you're not the government you can't lose money forever but in some cases, GM is kind of like that because they've been bailed out multiple times and they've gone bankrupt multiple times. You have to actually have to specify what year they've gone bankrupt. Unfortunately, Billy Durant, the founder of the company, actually died when it was not in his ownership because he lost control to the banks. A fascinating fun business fact of the day, actually, with my ADHD. Billy Durant, who founded the company, bringing together Buick and Oldsmobile, he actually built it and then unfortunately, I believe it was the 19, it was the first, great the first Great Depression came. Of course, car sales went to crap, so he lost the company. The banks took it from him. But with that American spirit, he actually teamed up with a little unknown race car driver from France called Louis Chevrolet. And they worked together. They built, you know, started making consumer cars. And they built Chevrolet so big, he bought GM back from the banks. Which, in terms of overcoming odds against all, it was just some, there's something admirable about that story. Unfortunately, during the next recession, he lost control again to the banks. And allegedly, based on autobiography I read, he died, or one of the last times he was seen before he subsequently passed, he was saw, saw managing a bowling alley. But there's something, something beautiful about starting a company and getting it back. It, of course, it's sad that they, it didn't end too well, but fun little history about GM if you didn't know that. We also proposed the right to strike over plant closures. Ford proposed giving themselves a unilateral right to outsource any of our work at any time. Is it because they took all the risk and built the company from nothing? Oh yeah, they, yeah, they did. They, it, it, a lot of these situations were, why, why is it fair that you only get the upside? If the company loses money, will, will you give money back? What's going to happen there? And interestingly enough, the Ford family is still in control. You can buy, and I can buy, we could go out and buy Ford stock. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't make recommendations on the show. Although, I, I, like everyone, I wish I bought Apple stock back in the day, but I choose to reinvest in myself and my businesses. The ultimate gamble, some might say. But when it comes to Ford, they have family, even though they don't own a majority of the publicly traded stock, apparently they have most of the stock that matters, the voting stock, so they still control it. Some, as far as what I knew a couple years back when I was looking into it, GM rejected all of our proposals around job security 
And Stellantis did the same, rejecting our job security proposals as well. Under work-life balance, we all know that living in a plant seven days a week, 12 hours a day isn't living at all. We need real work-life balance so they can't just keep working us to death. Auto now, I, I'm one of those people where I I struggle with the sympathy when it comes to regards to the work-life balance. I, I always tell people 105 hours a week can't be beat. That's usually how many hours I put into the businesses. But I know, I, I know I'm not a liar and not everyone is dedicated to their... They, they have a job, not a career. Not everyone is all in on that ideal. But, yeah, I'm not saying it's easy to work in a factory. I had some, my grandfather, I had a couple of people who worked in a factory for decades in the freezing winters of Michigan and the hotting scorches of Michigan. They, they were there, and I know the stories. But it's one of those things. It'll be interesting to see where they come into terms of negotiating. Are there people that are really working seven days a week because they want to or they have to? Or is it this company scheduling them. It's one of those things where I almost have a little sympathy there because my grandfather actually worked every single day with the exception, I believe, was it Christmas and Thanksgiving in aluminum, one of the careers he had was an aluminum foundry over in Michigan. That job, like I'm sure some jobs, well, interestingly enough, maybe not, but I've heard the horror stories and there's a certain satisfaction of hard times make strong men. Well, the United States is perhaps that explains why there's so many so much weakness these days, unfortunately. But what are the current proposals? Workers have families. Auto workers have communities. Again, he's not. He's giving data in a way that is very favorable towards him and making it look sympathetic. He says increased work-life balance and family balance and more paid time off and holidays. Well, I think there's too many holidays to begin with in the United States. It seems like every day is holidays or something, but. Quantify the data. Let me know. I guess in terms of the work-life balance, does he really expect him to go 40 hours, get paid 40 hours, but only work 32? I, again, I don't know any other business that could handle that, and I don't, I don't know if that's feasible to ask for. Again, may, maybe this is the art of the deal like Trump, and you're asking for the world and then some, knowing they're kind of come back to reality in the middle maybe, but even in the middle, I don't know how, much, how fiscally feasible that is. And auto workers deserve a life. That's why we're pushing for more paid time off on holidays and a shorter work week. How much more shorter? After years of granting it to their salary employees, Ford has finally offered paid parental leave to UAW members for two paid weeks. Two? Lucky. But they refused to recognize the Juneteenth holiday, a day of historic importance and a new federal holiday. But that's also a put. Depending on who you're talking to, that's also a politically charged day of the year. So, I, in terms of the private sector, I've seen this be a point of contention and a debate across many businesses as they're wondering what's politically correct versus what. It's a very interesting thing that I don't. I, it's a politically charged thing. So I don't know if this would cause other workers to strike if they gave it to them. I, I don't know about that. And then. Parental leave. I know maternal leave. I guess parental parental is where you actually get both off. And two weeks is really quite... I was going to say, I know some places they have no time at all. That's pretty darn good. Well, at least anecdotally when I'm looking at different industries. and Interesting, though. GM agreed to offer Juneteenth as a paid holiday. Oh, that, but reject that makes sense given, again, 
I'm not saying it's always a political issue, but there's some politics involved in that particular holiday and GM leans more into it. So I'm actually, I'm actually surprised it wasn't already. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't propose it, inter interestingly enough. And I'm not saying people shouldn't get holidays off. I would say on average, there's way too many holidays in the United States to begin with. Lord knows by the time, you know, a couple of years from now, there won't be any day that isn't a holiday. I'm not making a pejorative comment about that particular holiday to begin with. That's another topic for another time, perhaps. ...all of our other proposals. Stellantis also agreed to offer Juneteenth as a paid holiday, but no other movement anywhere else. I, I think they all know that how politically charged that specific date is. They don't want to be seen as saying no to that. So I, I actually do think they all were going to give that thing already, but maybe they used it as a negotiating thing, saying, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll, we'll acquiesce to that." But from a from a marketing perspective, I think they would be scared not to give that away. And let me know in the comments, do you think, would they be boycotted if they didn't? I mean, that's happened to other companies before. So another interesting note. Most people have no... Oh, more advertisements? Interestingly enough, it's not for a competing automotive company. Under retirees, we've proposed significant increases to retiree pay. As the retirees, those who build our union... But how much? He again give give me more. I always ask people, and if you do have data in the comments, let me know. I want more. As I want as much data as possible. More data is always better. But he's saying significant increase to retiree pay. I hope he clarifies. But that's what the slide says right now. But what is that number? Have gone without an increase for well over a decade now. Most companies don't have that anymore because it's not financially viable. But that's just my three cents. Or in the people in the comments might say it's negative cents, but I think it's worth three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, I'll make it three cents. Should be four, but still free to click that, click that subscribe button or give a comment below. I expect they will be spicy, some might say. Ford, GM, and Stellantis rejected all of our proposals on this front. Yeah, because it's expensive. So there it is. That's what these companies think you're worth. That's what they say. They already think you're worth. It's interesting that he feels as if there's a lot of animus. And don't get me wrong, there's kind of like a lot of companies when you have interdepartmental or different divisions. There is always some, I believe, some type of, depending on the culture of the companies, kind of competition. But this animosity goes back decades, which, again, I'm not saying either side is completely innocent. Don't get me wrong. But it's interesting that he thinks... They're not, they're, they're getting paid more than the competition already. Say about you behind closed doors, meeting with the bargaining committees. And then they go on TV and talk about treating us like family. Tell me, is this how you treat your family? I mean, some families have crazy uncles. I mean, I don't know. Do you tell your family, good luck living paycheck to paycheck, but I'll keep my 29 million a year? Again, that's not their... That's not the cash they're getting. That's not what it costs the shareholders. And I made this distinction when I talked about the 2009 bankruptcy, where I talked about how someone's getting paid $65 an hour to put a tire in a car. They said that wasn't their cash amount. I agreed. I clarified later in another video, because I appreciate the comment that highlighted that I didn't make it clear. Again, also go to show we make the show better together when we work on comments, give them more feedback. And it's one of those issues where I'm thinking, what costs the consumer? What's increasing the cost of that good sold? 
what's increasing the cost of the car. And I would say the number one factor would be the direct cash as well as the benefits where you're paying that every year. Stocks are a little bit more different, a majority. And again, I, I keep knowing Mary Barra because in terms of my historicals and I used to write papers about this types of topics. That's one where I have most of the data in terms of my researching about. And with her recent salary, it's a $2 million cash base. Then you have some benefits and then an overwhelming majority is stock. And again, I, I think a good idea, again, maybe for a win-win, I don't think they'll go for it, but why not get stock to the union members? If they want them to be more, again, I believe they rejected in the past. Let me know in the comments if, with your experience. Would you be more attracted to that type of deal where GM gave the union members stock if they hit certain performance marks? Because maybe they'd be more invested in the company's outcome if they were to do that, be more invested to find more efficiencies. I'm one of those people where in terms of my thoughts about compensation, I would much rather give people stock so that they're, they're mo more motivated and they feel like they're more part of the team. I think when you look at companies who have done that historically, there's a lot more success around that methodology. I'm not saying it's the only methodology, but I think that's a very successful plan that's been used before. Look at Tesla, a lot of them that get the stock, they have incentives to build phenomenal machines. Although my three cents, every car should have a stick shift with three pedals. I love man transmission. It's what I drive daily. So Tesla is not for me, but I admire what they're doing from a technological perspective and a business perspective. But that's just my three cents. We'll get back to Sean. Do you tell your family, go make cars seven days a week, 90 days in a row, so I can buy a second house in Mexico? That's not how I treat my family. I don't think that trend... Are people buying houses in Mexico? I thought that was like a 90s trend. So listen, I've heard the nonsense from some big three executives and some of their friends in the media about my foul mouth or theatrics or this or that. I want you all to know something. I don't do these updates because I just want to blow off some steam about insulting proposals. I do these updates because our strength as a union is in our membership. Our strength as working people is in our unity. It's one of those things where I think foul, it's interesting in terms of culture of business, foul language has become more and more appropriate, kind of like in common culture in common America, for better or worse. It's one of those things where in terms of my perception of Sean and his you know, quote with theatrics, I think he's doing what he was elected to do. I might not agree with his methodologies or you know, what he's demanding, but I think he's doing well in regards to the metrics of the people who voted him in for the job. And I think the dad jokes are kind of funny. I think they're a great way to break the ice and in terms of the theatrics of having the little cam behind him, that's entertaining and, well, I'm sure some executives find it pejorative and they find it insulting because it's kind of meant to be insulting. It is also entertain mildly entertaining. You may or may not be looking at a screenshot of that right now for a little bas uh, little I'm trying to think of a creative way of saying bastardized. Bastardized thumbnail that I try to put together with my ultimate tool, Microsoft Paint. 10 plus years of experience. Definitely a pro. That, that was a joke. I have a 13 years of experience in it. You all deserve to know what they're saying about you. You all deserve to know what's being negotiated about your future and about your life. I want to be clear. We want a deal. We're ready for a deal. But it's got to be a deal that honors our members' sacrifices and contributions. We aren't going to lay down and take whatever scraps they give us. 
it's time, it's long past time that we stand up. And we're serious about this deadline, and the companies are serious too. Just yesterday, I saw reports of Ford taking out big loans and prepping scabs to work if we go on strike. They're getting a I would actually be concerned if Ford was taking out big loans. They did that before around 2008, right before the, the Ford was the only one of the big three that didn't take money from the government and didn't go bankrupt. Partially because they took out a loan at a very strategic time. Again, I'm not a financial guru telling you what to do in terms of loans or savings or stocks or anything like that. I'm just saying it's very interesting they're taking a big loan out right now. I, again, just a little speculation with the market, everything that's going on business, and maybe it is just to cover, again, he uses that, he uses that pejorative term, scab. I prefer the new term, band-aid. I think that's gonna be the new word. Band-aids, not scabs. Ready, so we're getting ready. If we hit 11.59 p.m. on Thursday without a deal at any of the big three automakers, there will be a strike at all three if need be. In the coming days, we're going to be sharing more with you on that front, but I want all of you to be ready. Oh, it's funny, some of the comments are asking, how much is Sean making? Now again, if you have the data, I would appreciate it. Interestingly enough, it's almost, you, there's not a lot of transparency with the UAW in terms of when I was looking at their website, trying to find more data, maybe they're trying to be more secretive, but it's one of those things where some websites are estimating he's making between $175,000 and $200,000 a year, with cash and benefits from what I've seen. Again, some of that was just glassdoor.com, which is a review website, and there's somewhere based on numbers based on his predecessor. And let me know in the comments, I believe it's about one, maybe 180 based on another site. But it'll be interesting to see. But overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the comments from the live stream, again, there's no comments because they're disabled in the video. It looks like most are being supportive of Sean. I've got two words for every big three worker out there listening. Stand up. Be ready to stand up for yourselves, for your families, and for your communities. Be ready to stand up against corporate greed, against management's lies, against distortions in the media. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for what you believe in. And I truly believe, just as a Gallup poll recently showed, when 75% of Americans said they stand with us, <laughs> I truly believe that all of America will stand with us. In oh, I, I, I couldn't help but laugh at that. I mean, it's, it's one, I don't know. Uh, I wonder if I could find that. Eh, could I find that poll? Uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where one of the most important things with polls is, I learned this from business statistics. I had a couple of good teachers in my life. I was blessed in that regard. Always know your sample size. It's going to vary, obviously, depending on a myriad of things. You could change the sample size, you could change how wording of a poll is to get whatever you want. To... So inherently I'm skeptical of polling data unless I have a, vac a momentous amount of data to sort through so I know myself. But he's saying, you know, 70% of the people agree, you know, 70% of the people are saying, oh yeah, we, we agree with the UAW. Well, interestingly enough, I did my own poll and while I don't know the demographics and the geolocations of the people, I do have 
the, and again, it's a small sample size. And again, there's probably maybe a skew based on people who have LinkedIn profiles or their career, both in terms of do they work in the factory, they work at a corporate, where they are. But nevertheless, most of my connections are in technology. So that's also a curveball in and of itself. But in terms of, I ask people, do you think the UAW will bankrupt the big three again? With the caveat of, you know, only GM and Chrysler went bankrupt. And again, they're a contributing factor. I'm not saying it's the only factor, but of the 57 people who voted, 75% of people, at least I know public schools are all the time low for math scores, that's three-fourths of the people polled said they will bankrupt the companies again. And 19% of people said, no, they would not bankrupt the company. And 5% of people were too cowardly to actually choose. Because I usually say, you know, yes, no, or other, aka comment, but no. So interesting enough, that's again, small sample size. I'm giving you the data in terms of that's 57 votes. And that was taken over the course of four days. And the sample size of who saw it, I believe, and not all of your followers see it, but I have about 20,000 people who could have seen it. So again, that's anecdotal data, just giving you data I gathered for this show today. That's the data I have from that specific poll. In this fight. So I thank you all for joining me tonight. And we're going to keep updating you as we keep going. I'm going to try to look through some comments. We actually have over 1,800 comments right now, so bear with me. Well, let's do a couple of them. I see comment already. I can't believe no raises for us. And exactly. That's what they think about you. That's well, the respect they want to show you. Most people are getting laid off these days, but okay. For the profits you And you're already making more of the competition, but I digress partially. Great. For the 250 billion in profits you've created in the last decade, I would be again. Please again. I don't know if you need a full-time employee to give us all the data for this, but like just looking at GM's 10K or looking at the financial statements, they do still have a lot of debt. Again, how are you defining profit? There's more nuances. Look, and again, that's kind of the inherent issue of having conversations online and having comments back and forth. Some things get lost just in text translation, but yeah, I wish there's more transparency in these numbers. And again, I wish we had, again, this is a negotiation. They're going back and forth, perhaps on an hourly basis for all we know. But yeah, instead of just saying, you know, we want more of X, Y, Z, just what are those numbers that you're currently asking? That's a long pregnant pause. We make them richer and they try to send us to the soup line. That's why we keep filing the offers in their proper filing cabinet back here. And we'll just keep filling that thing up until they want to get serious and take care of your demands. That's a funny dad joke. I appreciate that. He pointed to his trash bin or if you're British, the dust bin with the big three proposals written on it. I wish it was more like Twitter where he could choose the choose the questions based on the greatest number of people who are liking it, but I don't think for or I was just, um Google should definitely have that technology by now, you would think. But unfortunately, no, I that's not a feature yet. And let me know what you comment, ben. Let me know if you would want to do an episode of the live stream. I've never tried it before. I'm not sure how we would do it in terms of if I have an editing PC where this is just my laptop in my office, but I'm sure we can make it happen somehow. Just put the profile on there. And yeah, let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Laying down the entire 17 years you've been at Stellantis, well, let me assure you, 
sister. That ain't happening no more. I can guarantee you, Vice President Boyer, I can guarantee you the other vice presidents and these bargaining committees, along with myself and our team and our entire executive board, them days are over. We're all in this together. Even though he makes, you know, 180, 190, 200 grand a year in total benefits, I believe. I see a Although I guess if you don't like that, we can always vote him out. Although I don't. It'd be interesting to see what factors go into who chooses the salary or the compensation package. Interesting. Somebody from the CWA is on here saying they support us. and always glad we all stand together. Let me assure you, I've talked to the president of AFL-CIO, Liz Schuler. She sent a message today to let us know that all the unions stand together. They're all behind us, and we stand with them. That's what solidarity is all about. Sorry, I'm just uh, over 1,900 comments here, so just trying to look through some here. That is one of the issues when you have all these live streams. There's such a vast quantity. Again, let me know. That should be an idea by now. Like Google has the technology to put do darn near anything. There should be some way where you can actually have the comments you can vote which one you want the most. Because right now, like I'm reading the live stream, and again, there are a lot of comments. Yep, I see a comment here. No raises for SBU. It's ridiculous. You're damn right. How they can stand there and hand us a proposal at Stellantis that says hourly workers get this and SBU gets lump sums. It just shows the disconnect of the reality of where the companies stand with the workers who who, who create these massive profits. So it's 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 just it's disgusting. Bench is killing me. Which one's he gonna choose? I see comments about pensions and all that. And look, you, you know, people gotta understand. I mean, I don't think the general public even understands that the majority of our members in Big Three do not have any retirement security, no pension, no post-retirement health care. That would be most of America. I'm not saying that's just the facts. I'm not saying that's good or bad. Well, I would say it's probably bad, but it's also because I would, I, would, I think it would be again another topic for another time, but. I don't think businesses should be taxed. They should just pay their employees more and they should reinvest in the companies more. But I don't think the government should be burdening businesses. Cause again, when you look at the, if you start, once you, if you start a business or look at the tax structures of businesses, you're quickly, I'm like, what's not the way of saying disappointed or dismayed or just, it's astonishing how many taxes there are. By the time you get your paycheck, it's been taxed multiple times. So I would say get rid of the corporate tax so the companies can pay you more. They have more capital to work with, more re money invested into the company. But I know another comment for the, another topic for another time, perhaps. So, you know, those things have to change. And our retirees that have been out there. And again, anecdotally speaking, in terms of my knowledge with researching businesses, most of them being private sector between 20 employees and maybe 8,000 employees in Texas, I researched probably about 650 for the past 36 months. And... I know one company in the private sector who has a pension and they're an old school company. They've been around forever and based on their industry, they have lucrative profit margins to support it. But these days it's just not fiscally feasible for most companies to have a pension. I don't know anyone at a company that has not been around again, 
I don't know any newer company that's offering that. Partially, because, and again, I it's partially blame the government for having all these burdensome taxes on these businesses where they have less capital to work with, less capital to pay with. But pensions just, again, they were a great idea at the time, but they're just not sustainable right now. And maybe that, maybe that not be the case. Maybe we get a new president or new, maybe the government just gets rid of the corporate tax, which would be great, not just because the current companies will reinvest more into the company, but you'd also have businesses move to the United States to start businesses to the United States and to relocate businesses to the United States. You saw it with Iceland a couple years back and Greenland, Ireland specifically, actually, for EMC and DeLorean. A lot of companies went there because of the low corporate tax structure, but I digress for now. That, that laid the groundwork for all of us to be here. They haven't seen anything in over 17 years, so it's time. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of work to do and uh, a, a lot of movement to make here. And, and uh, one thing I really love about this, we're approaching 2,000 comments now. It's just, and over 12,000 people on this on this uh, update. It's just a solidarity we're seeing among our members, among our communities, with the general public, and among other unions. That's what this is all about. This is, we don't just fight for ourselves. We fight for the entire working class. Everyone gains when we do well. We gotta get back to setting the standard and raising the standard for workers everywhere. So that's what this is all about. That's what our fight's about. We all stand united. So I, I appreciate everybody getting on. Um, you know, and, and let me assure you, uh, the committees and, and the VPs and us, we're, we're working around the clock to make sure you get your share of economic and social justice. And we're not going to stop until we get it. Oh, that's a cliche politician thing. Almost exclusively on the left, your social justice. And ultimately, you have the final say. This is your contract. And we're going to fight like hell and stand up. Actually, you don't have the you don't have the say. If you're an individual, you can actually negotiate based on your skill set, your tenure, and individual compensation. But no, that's what the union does. Gather to get what you deserve. So, thank you all for being on. I apologize again for getting on late, um, but we got a lot going on right now, as I hope you understand. And we're going to continue to do it and get back to it. So, we'll update you um, as things progress. So, look forward to it. And thanks a lot. And they do have a pretty good graphic that, go, that zooms in and out with the logo. So, let's see here. Let me know in the comments. I can't help but think, I don't know. I don't think they're going to get everything they want. It's a lot of wants. Although they do need a lot of money. I mean, what was it, in 2010? Although during that election cycle, a little fun fact of the day, the UAW spent $87.5 million on politicians or lobbying and political activities. I can't fathom how many people were elected by the UAW alone. A lot of folks. But nevertheless, do you think they're going to get all 10 things they want? 40% increase in salary, or I guess not salary, wages. But I don't think it's fiscally, I don't think it's fiscally feasible. But let me know in the comments. And again, we're not going to agree on anything, but I love hearing your perspectives and we could together perhaps learn a thing or two. Will they get everything they want? I would say for everything, I would say the Magic 8 Ball would not look good. Will they strike? It seems, and again, I would say the odds with all the data we have, and again, things change on an hourly basis for these negotiations, I would suspect. But 
I would say with all the available data we have now, with the different, how far they are in terms of the UAW versus the big three, the odds that they're going to have a strike, obviously the odds of a strike are increasing every day, of course. And a lot of good deals, or I would say more accurate, reasonable deals or good deal, whatever you want to call them, they come in at the final hour, but let me know in the comments. I would, I think it's pushing toward a strike. I mean, right now you're, this is a, this is a very precarious time for the big three. And again, I'm not saying I agree with their business ideas. I, Lord knows I actually disagree with a lot of the CEO's approach in terms of, I don't think EVs are good for the environment. When you look at the material precious metals used, the life cycle asset management of it, but they, all these companies are moving away from their core competencies. It's a huge risk. They're going all into EVs, which inherently are not good for a million of reasons, but that's what they're deciding. Maybe Mary Barra, the CEO, will be fired and she'll lose her $2 million salary because they bankrupt the company because they can't compete in the EV, di EV division. Tesla's got a huge lead ahead of them, specifically. And Mary Barra, in their, in their statements where they say, who do you think your competition is? Where are you trying to bring a Where are you trying to go? They're trying to compete with them. That's one of the reasons they cut 5,000 salary positions from GM corporate, or I guess that's all salary positions as well. They bought them out of the contracts so they can get rid of the positions, get rid of the cost. So it's one of those things where they're cutting cost, they're trying to compete, and it's something they've barely done before. Of course, the Chevy Bolt just had another recall, incidentally enough, but it's a big risk right now for the big three. And you have this who the heck knows what's going on with the economy. There's a lot of unknowns when it comes to po politics in particular. No one really knows who's going to get elected. There's a lot of tax implications, business implications, a lot of uncertainty. So let me know in the comments what you think is going to happen. But whatever your opinion is, I respect it. I appreciate you coming to the table with your opinion. I appreciate your perspectives. Love to hear what you have to say. Other interesting political news. You have the New Mexico banning guns because they're tyrannical governor and she attempts to explain so this is someone who is both mentally morally vacuous to say the least considering our country is bounded by the second amendment by the right to bear arms that's how we broke away from the tyrannical british when they dare taxed our tea lord knows that the founding fathers saw how many things are taxed in the united states i'm sure they'd be aghast and disappointed but another topic for another time when it comes to american values the right to self-defense is paramount and when it comes to the conversation of guns, I know they don't teach history much in the United States public school sector, public unions, but it's one of those issues where if you read a history book, you'll see the worst things in history always happen when the government takes guns, when they limit your freedoms. My family escaped Cuba when they were doing that, and they only barely got out. And I can't help but think of most of the parallels that we'll dive into later, but this is her attempt to pretend to justify her unjustifiable action of disarming law-abiding citizens. And again, they just got rid of, specifically, you're no longer allowed to defend yourself if you go to the grocery store. They banned open and concealed carry, which is it's in the Constitution, I believe, where they passed the laws saying it's your human right. If you're a law-abiding citizen, you have the legal right to defend yourself. Some would say rights are only given by God. Others say it's the government kind of tells you someone's political perspective on which one you choose. On any street corner in too many cities in New Mexico, there is someone with a gun sticking out of their waist or their belt. She looks very confused. Do they have a permit? 
You're making some generalizations here. Will she be called something because of that? Probably not, because she's a Democrat. And I'll tell you, if you're, if you're a young person, you're not allowed to have a handgun. Something I found morally deplorable as well. If you're 18, and depends on what your definition is, if you're 18, you can vote for this country, you can die for your country, you should be able to buy a handgun. You can't because of a BS federal law. You can be gifted one in some states, but no. You can die for your country, but you can't buy booze. You can vote, but you can't. You can't buy booze or buy a pistol. Ridiculous, in terms of my ideals, politically speaking, there needs to be one age, whether it's 21 for everything or 26 to be a legal adult. Now they're happening because, interestingly enough, they want 16-year-olds to vote. It's ridiculous beyond all belief. You're not mature enough to know what the hell's going on at that time at all. But we'll get back to her insanity. I got it, but we won't be able to arrest all of them. So imagine, just in, 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 a, in a perfect world, if this was upheld, it gives all of these police officers the ability to focus on the real criminals. Last follow-up. Yeah. You took but oath. your point is valid. You took an oath to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional? I believe most politicians have never read the Bill of Rights, yet alone the Constitution or the Federalist Papers or anything by our founding fathers, which it should be illegal to be in the government and not even know what our government stands for. Constitutional to say you cannot exercise your license with one exception and that is if there's an emergency and i've declared an emergency oh. for a temporary amount of time i can invoke additional powers no constitutional right in my view including my oath is intended to be absolute there are restrictions on free speech there are restrictions uh. on my freedoms i can't i've never on seen any street corner i've never seen someone so ugly and on the inside and partially on the outside. But so what's the point of, ha again, you went through the proper paperwork process. Again, I believe in, I'm a fan of constitutional carry. So if you're a law abiding citizen, you should have rights that are embedded to you and given to you by God. And I don't think, but another topic for no time. She's saying, okay, in this instance, we're taking away your rights because I declared a emergency. Now I've read history books before. I know most haven't in public schools, unfortunately, but yeah, that's what they always do. And the slippery slope is not a theory, it's something that's been proved time and time again with a myriad of topics, some of which we've actually discussed on the show. So you have people who, in this case, they actually got a concealed carry permit, which usually entails some type of training as well as aptitude test, as well as being a law-abiding citizen. And she's saying, oh yeah, we don't care anymore. You don't have rights. You can't defend yourself and your family if you go to the store or go to the park. The bad guys can, because they're going to always be strapped, so to say. I'm surprised this isn't happening in California. So she's saying, oh yeah, basically we don't care about your rights because we're calling a health emergency. Disgusting, morally vacuous to say the least. And thankfully in terms of public getting ahead of it or realizing this is evil, you did see this posted by Joshua Smith on the Twitter getting 3.2 million views in two days and 15,000 likes. Now, in terms of the comments, the top comment was from Zach saying, quote, this statement effed me up more than any other part of this. If you can say oaths aren't absolute, you're from your seat of power, you should be removed from it, unquote. This person got 42.2 thousand views and 2,541 likes, quite a good ratio. And he has a damn good 
point, I would say. If what point are your rights if they just declare an emergency? Oh yeah, it's an emergency. Yeah. And you've seen the government do this several times before. Just at a whim. Politicians include they've all done this. It's like, oh yeah, it's an emergency. Now screw your rights. Excuse me? That's disgusting, to say the least. And concerning if people read history, they would be concerned more. Ridiculous beyond all belief. Which is yet another reason to be politically active. You may not, a wise man once said, you might not care about politics, but the politics care about you. So if you live in New Mexico, you should fervently try to recall her. You should vote for someone else. Rally people to vote for someone. And I can't imagine having your rights taken away where you can't defend your family if you're out and about. How disgusting is that? Especially for the people actually, they even went through the actual process, which I don't believe you should have to do, but they went through the process. They did the work you wanted to, to get the permit, but no, she's, she just want to take your, I can't help but notice there's certain people, political people who just want to take your rights away. And these are the same people who say, are you sure you want to be on the wrong side of history? No, I could confidently say my political views and the ones that I espouse and the, one, the things I hold dear to my heart, I know they're the right views. I know what our country is founded on. I'm on the side of the people who founded the country. So I don't just believe I'm right. I know I'm right in that regard. Let me know in the comments, would you move away from that state like that? Because again, it happens once. It's gonna, she does this once, she's going to do it again and again and again until you have no rights at all. But back to the comments, you have Thang saying, quote, remove her immediately, unquote. Now that person got 19.2 thousand views and 559 likes, giving a ratio of 2.91%. Now, you also have somebody by the name of Patrick J. Boyley saying, quote, all, and again, they quoted the U.S. Constitution, the best document written, and the Bill of Rights, the best documents written in history, bar none. Actually, well, depending on you talk to in the belief system, second only to the Ten Commandments, they would say. Now, this person quoted saying, quote, all laws which are repugnant to the Constitution are null and void, Mayor Barry versus Madison, 5 U.S. to Crunch, 137, 174, 176, 1803, which is a reference to that subsequent ruling. And it got 12.4 thousand views and 735 likes, giving a ratio of 6.93%. It's pretty darn good, I'd say so myself. So it's one of those things where if you're in New Mexico, immediately vote and file the paperwork to possibly recall this elected official. And if that's not possible, you should be out there. Get politically active yourself. Go vote, go vote and go, heck, if you're politically ambitious or if you're just, never forget some of the men who, some of the greatest men in history, a wise man once said, in terms of leadership and who rises, sometimes it's the people who do not go out wanting to wear the throne, but Rather, they have it thrust upon them and find that it fits well. Unquote. And I know I'm butchering that quote, but rudimentarily speaking, I'm saying perhaps you don't even realize you'd be good in the position, but maybe you might be a good politician if there is such a thing. I like to think there is. There's maybe two or three which I believe are good. But I do really hope people get their rights back and do the appropriate actions so that they can defend themselves and their family when they're out and about. Because certain rights are they are absolute and you can't you should not be able to just remove rights at a whim calling an emergency no matter what happens certain rights are inalienable no matter what is happening in the country or the world 
certain rights are inalienable, that all men are created equal, that they have the right to defend themselves and their family. But perhaps I'm just an old soul. I hope more and more people agree with that sentiment and vote appropriately. But I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have New York City, Mr. Adams, becoming more and more of a hypocrite. Now, he's been there since, well, shoot, how long has Sand been around? Like, for, I don't know, I believe a couple years now. And it's one of those fascinating things where you see this in blue states specifically, they very much embrace breaking the law. Well, when it comes to laws, they don't like, they're very good at it. They actually, they love people breaking the law when it comes to immigration. Now, my family came here from Cuba, and interestingly enough, we came here the proper legal way to respect the country. And also, yeah, we actually came out on a plane, although I can swim okay. Not actually, no, I can't swim very good. I would have been screwed. But we did come here on a plane. One of the last ones, incidentally enough, a fascinating tale for another time, but we came here and did it properly. And interestingly enough, they like and believe in sanctuary states where they encourage people to break the law and come to the states and utilize the public resources. And for decades, they've not cared about other southern states being overrun in terms of resource allocation. One of the issues when you do have a overflow of immigration and it's illegal, you can't do proper resource allocation. That means they're gonna be using public utilities, public schools. There's a lot of things where they're designed and we're budgeting certain things such as maybe a classroom or even simple things such as police force coverage. There's a certain ratio that you're looking for, your certain plan that you have and certain costs that are appropriately allocated. All those public sectors, I would say, improperly allocated, to be honest. But it's one of those issues where, in the South, for decades, people have been saying, hey, this is throwing off all of our calculations. We can't afford this. And yet, they would just say, they would encourage it. They would tell people, my story, hey, just come up, come up. You'll never be prosecuted. We'll have the Dreamers Act. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just grandfather you in. And this is... You know, 2001, Mr. Mr. Adams, the mayor of New York City, I mean City, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, just come on over here. You think about it, uh, the days I spent uh, with our essential employees, a substantial number of them were uh, undocumented. Uh, they were... Again, you're employing someone who's illegally here? I thought that was breaking the law. But again, some laws are only... Actually, it seems like more and more laws are just applied based on your political affiliations, disgustingly enough. Delivering our Uber Eats, uh, they were stocking our stores. They were out in the streets, keeping our city running. We have to expand uh, NYC care to make sure everyone has health care. We need to make sure we have proper translation services in our schools. What proper translation services for people who are not paying to go to schools? What? That is. So that's 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 Mr. Adams in 2001, and he's saying. He's saying they should actually have all those extra things. And again, that's costing the people who are here legally tax dollars. And Lord, Lord knows we're taxed to death already with the U.S. federal government stealing. I mean, taxing 40%. So imagine state taking another 10%. Sales tax taking another 10%. How much of that money is really yours? How much of that dollar that you make is really yours? Another topic for another time, perhaps. So that was, that was Eric a couple of years ago. Now it sounds like, oh yeah, he's all about breaking the law. Keep coming here. We'll, we'll, we'll give you all the opportunity. How times have changed and how two-faced the sunlight is making him as more transparency is brought. This is what he's saying now. We're getting no support on this national crisis. <laughs> and we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Oh. 
Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't. Oh, it, so you're not liking the problem you yourself created and encouraged. Fascinating. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. <laughs> what? The issue you yourself promulgated and helped and encouraged to happen. This is a theme yet again I see more and more politicians, specifically a couple on the politically left side of the aisle, where they'll promulgate all these ideals and they don't like consequences. There's, they hate consequences. But every once in a while, there's some karma or justice where, oh yeah, there's actually consequences for your action. Now, he's been seeing what the southern states have been working with, with for decades. Because again, there's a finite number of resources and it's one of those instances where if you don't have the proper planning and you're encouraging people breaking the rules, you're not good for anyone. And now, ironically enough, even people in Chicago, the bluest state in the union, I believe, and also incidentally has some of the highest crime rates ever, but it's got great culture, I'm told. The Bears will be good next year. No, kind of like Chicago will be safe next year. It's the policies that they want. It's the policies they keep voting for. I, I hope they change, but they have not statistically historically done for 92, 92 years, I believe. But it's one of those fascinating things where now the consequences are coming and he doesn't like it. The hypocrisy is amazing. New, good old New York City, Eric Adams. Now, I wonder if they're going to call him racist or Republican now, because remember, people in Texas, people in other states where they have more direct correlation with this type of issues, they were called racist if they said we should have a immigration policy or we shouldn't let people in here illegally. And for the record, I think the immigration process for the United States is too cumbersome. Everyone, not just people close geographically to the United States, should have an equal opportunity to come to the land and free and contribute to society and to be a net benefit for society. I think everyone should have an equal opportunity, not just people geographically close. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, I just, I gotta make it three. It, I mean, it should be four, but I'm a generous man, just three. But it is still free to click that subscribe button and it does help out the channel. Other interesting political news, you have Vivek Ramaswamy on achieving peace with Ukraine. And of course, it went pretty darn viral. So it looks like he's at a rally right here. And this is the text before the quick little video. You have Vivek saying, quote, my plan to achieve peace in Ukraine and stop the China-Russia military alliance is the mirror image of President Nixon's diplomatic maneuver that distanced China from Russia in 1972, except this time Putin is the new Mao, unquote. And this is a brief interaction with someone at, looks like a rally perhaps. What's the exit strategy for Ukraine? So the exit strategy is do a deal with Putin, freeze the current lines of control, but require that Putin exit his military. Something that Vivek is much better at in terms of his competition is interacting with people on the streets, so to say, and Hilariously enough, this person that he's with, it looks like he put his hand on his shoulder. He's using some you know, hand gestures while he's speaking, which is good. And something that I appreciate the comment section, someone said in the beginning, they want me to be more articulate with my words, but also to use more pontification with my hand gestures as well, make it a little bit more interesting and interactive. So I appreciate the feedback, because again, make the channel better together. And interestingly enough, the guy who Vivek is talking to has a DeSantis shirt on. And DeSantis is, He's, he needs a coach for speaking and body language, I believe. Don't, don't get me wrong. Again, I'll, I'll beat the comment section to it. He's probably better than me. I'm, well, actually, no. He's had some pretty bad speeches. 
that would probably be an entertaining debate on who struggles the most in terms of articulating and speaking. But another topic from another time. And it is funny that this guy has a DeSantis shirt and DeSantis is not doing enough campaigning like this. I know there's an issue with the, I know there's stuff going on in Florida with the hurricane, but even before that, he needs to increase the frequency, the volume of that. But back to Vivek. Terry alliance with China. That's the top goal. That's a good plan. You can't well, have... That's a better plan than we got now. You can't sure. have Russia and China be in bed together, no. and they are. And that's the military alliance that actually, well, we, honestly, we, threatens we the United States. States. We're out of ammo. We're out of ammo. I mean, it's, it's and also, but, but also, they outstrip us when they're combined. I know. So I'll say... We'll end we also ship them a lot of ammo where... Again, I don't know if this is really true because I don't know if the government would let this data be out necessarily, but we apparently ran out of certain types of ammo in the United States, which I don't know how that is even feasible given the volume that we create. But nevertheless, I was shocked to hear that. We did set, set over $100 billion, not just in cash, but also physical military assets and as well as humanitarian things like um, items like food. In this war, we'll make sure that NATO doesn't admit Ukraine to NATO. That would be a mistake anyway. But in return, Russia has to exit its military partnership with China. And by the way, Russia has a military presence in the Western Hemisphere. In Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, they have to get out. Well, China, China has ownership of the Panama Canal and the ports of the Panama Canal, too. So I like the modern Monroe Doctrine. Get the heck out of our Hemisphere. Do not, no spy balloons flying over half our country. No, we're done with the nonsense. But in return, you know, we're going to also say that NATO's not going to expand more than what we promised in 1990. We have to have the buffers. I mean, yeah. we have to. We can't go back on that. So, but... I, interestingly enough, not a lot of people are bringing this up, that NATO has expanded exponentially when Gorbachev was promised that they wouldn't. Uh, Gorbachev being one of the former Russian, mil Russian leaders. But I digress for now. Exactly. That's but a plan. but I, like I appreciate it. that. Yes, yeah, so like it's, it. it's a very clear, I mean, it goes into more detail. I think we need partnership with India to be able to deter China from going after Taiwan. And I'm not just saying that because my name is Vivek Ramaswamy, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, and I think that the other thing we can do is enter partnerships with Japan and South Korea and onshoring to the United States. If we're not dependent on China, then we can actually stand up with the spine. But when you're dependent on your enemies, or when you stop drilling and fracking in this country and you have to depend on foreign autocrats for oil, that's when actually the problem well, begins. Literally, began. Biden's gone over to Ukraine and talked to them about drilling and fracking. It's unbelievable. At the same time, won't do it here. He's they'll shut spend, down North Dakota. They'll it's spend ridiculous. money on infrastructure projects there while we're, we're failing over here. So very, in terms of moves on the political chessboard, that was a really good interaction. And I, who knows, maybe it's all planned out. We don't know. But... That looks like, it looks like I was a father with his son at a, a rally talking to Vivek, but I think that's a very good point in terms of military alliances and global alliances as we have a global economy and geopolitics in general is, and I don't think it's appropriate, again, in term, I don't know if it's realistic to compare, uh, no, actually, no, it's definitely not appropriate to compare Putin to Mao. Mao killed more people than anyone in history, I believe. Uh... I, I have to know. Yeah. Mao is considered one of the greatest mass murders in history, responsible for the deaths of at least at least 45 million people between 1958 and 1962. Yes. So, needless to say, don't get me wrong, Putin's no angel. I'm saying, yeah, Mao is definitely one of the most, no, not most, he, I would say not one of the most, he is the most evil person in history. 40, yeah, 45, at least 45 million people are dead because of him. So I don't know if that's exact the best correlation to do, but in terms of going viral, it didn't get a million views, but it, I think it was a fascinating enough topic where I wanted to cover the video really quick, 
But in six hours, again, it's not the longest time length of time, but it did get 133.7 thousand views. So that's quite a lot. And he got 1,107 likes. It's not the best ratio coming at 0.88, but it is interesting in terms of Vivek on social media, his quick, and again, his statistics were taking six hours. A couple of days later, it looks like it got to, actually, no, not days. A couple of things are mixed up, but it's one of those things where, interesting enough, in six hours, he got more views than his competition, like Nikki Haley or DeSantis, on average, or their videos, they sometimes, even in a day or two, will get 60 to 90,000. And I would say the DeSantis campaign specific account, the War Room campaign, they probably get between nine, eh, 60 and 90,000 on average. They have outliers, of course. But it is fascinating to see, in terms of the numbers, Vivek is getting a lot of views on social media. Is that going to correlate to actual votes? That's going to be the uncertainty thing. We'll actually, we'll see more and more with these upcoming nomination voting. But interestingly enough, looks at the comments, I would say... I would say it's pretty well mixed and it looks like some of the most popular ones just going through them really quick right here be interesting to see you know paul uh, babu patil says quote no winner in the war stop the war and find a diplomatic solution this is definitely the best opinion he got seven likes out of 1100 views interestingly enough i don't know if it's a parody account but Oh no, maybe it is a pejorative statement about the person he was Vivek was talking with, but there's somebody by the name of Vivek Ramaswape, which again, that is probably a pejorative account. And this person says, not sure if this guy knows where the Ukraine is. And uh, another funny one, where's your Kissinger? I think I got still alive too. One of the oldest negotiations ever. So I'd say, interesting enough, here's a good one by the, this person is by the name of the secret man. And the sacred man did a poll out of 141 votes and he asked indeed this is an awesome strategy let's vote he said the three options being i agree with him i disagree with him i don't care about him now it looks like 32.6 percent of the voters said that they agree with him 39.7 percent said they do not agree with him and then 27.7 percent said i don't care about him so well maybe that actually gives us a good insight into not only people who like and hate vivek are looking at him on social media but Looks like there's some people in the middle who are also following him, perhaps. So maybe his audience on social media is a little bit more diverse than I originally thought due to the sample size. And if they're fans or not fans in that regard. But it'll be interesting to see, because at the end of the day, I, we really do need peace of some kind. And I hope it comes sooner rather than later, because there's a lot of folks dying, de de departing on both sides. And I really do hope the conflict comes to an end. And I do think the U.S. could make that happen in a New York minute. If we just said, oh yeah, we're going to stop giving you hundreds hundreds of billions of dollars, you have to go to the table. Because again, Russia is, they want peace, I would venture, because they're not looking good. And no one, with the exception of the United States, because of taxes perhaps, could fund a never-ending war. And they all have finite resources. It's one of those things where I don't, I, I don't think they want this to keep going on the Russia side. Ukraine has kind of an incentive because every day that goes by, they get more and more money from every country on the planet, seemingly. So that's kind of giving them a negative incentive structure. And we're seeing them go on the offensive and going into Russia when in the beginning, again, politicians, we shouldn't be surprised at all that they lie, but we were told, oh yeah, it's just to help them on the defense. But yeah, it looks like they're on the offense, but it'll be interesting. Let me know, do you think, will this increase him in the polls by any? Will it just be a little bit of an outlier? I think, I think this will help with the people who are not pro-war 
in terms of politics, the Republicans, more than nominees than not, are pro-war. When you're looking at the GOP debate and who wants to get out of the Ukraine conflict, Vivek was one of the most vocal voices when it comes to the articulation of wanting to decrease foreign conflicts and funding of those foreign wars. I think that'll help them with that audience. Now, is that audience big enough to get them ahead of the polls over DeSantis? That, that'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Kroger to pay $1.2 billion for the opioid claim settlement. Now, it looks like last Friday they said they agreed to pay $1.2 billion to the U.S. Senate, local governments, and Native American tribes to settle the majority of claims that it fueled the opioid epidemic through lax oversight of the pill sales. Now, it looks like Kroger will pay that, I believe... Yeah, there's no way they could pay it all once. Because again, we, look, we discussed this before on the channel, grocery stores are terrible in terms of profit margins. It's on average 2% profit, which does not leave a lot of room for error. Now, it looks like the settlement would allow for a quote-unquote full resolution of the claims on the behalf of the parties. And they said that in a release ahead of its fiscal Q2 earnings, Kroger is now the largest retail pharmacy chain to announce a nationwide settlement after similar agreements were with Walgreens, CVS, and Walmart last fall. Now, it looks like, of course, the upside of this, like any settlement, is that there's no admission of liability or wrongdoing. So, in terms of optics and publicity, that does look better than going to court and being proven without reasonable doubt that you are malice and you're negligent in these types of situations. That's why you see a lot of settlements in corporate America, partially for that. And then, in terms of the people who suffered, there is a benefit of getting paid up front as opposed to, with a settlement, as opposed to if you go to court, depending on the complexities of the court case, it could take months, maybe years, even crazy enough as it might sound, some decades. So it is attractive for certain reasons for both different, for both sides of this equation. Now, it looks like they said, quote, Kroger will continue to vigorously defend against any other claims and lawsuits relating to the opioids that the final agreement does not resolve. That was them in a release. And interestingly enough, it's gonna be paid over the duration of, let's see here, 11 years. So interesting enough, specifically they said they will pay $36 million to the Native American tribes um, and tribes over 11 years. The company actually posted a net loss for the second quarter and it took that, oh no, so it did take that 1.4 billion charge related to the settlements and associated legal fees. Because never forget, the fort, win or lose, the lawyers always win. This is why it's such a lucrative career. And interestingly enough, the shares actually went up 4% after the news. Partially because, fascinating enough, when it comes to business, a lot of the things that kill business, whether it's killing a sale as a long sales cycle for a company, or just, you know, uncertainty in general, one of the best things you can give is certainty, closure, stability. And now that the thing is put to bed and it's settled, there's no more uncertainty of, is this going to cost us $12 billion, $13 billion? Is it going to put us on business? Now that this particular instance is settled, is actually not too much of a surprise that the shares shot up about 4% after this news came out. So it'll be interesting to see, again, it's a hyper-competitive industry, and hopefully they're a little bit more responsible. Again, we don't know all the nuances to the case, and obviously that was a disgustingly morally depraved issue with these pills being pushed, or people, the end users, the consumers, were some not, not always not told the side effects, not told the issues, and hopefully, this is a case and an issue where all sides are happy with the settlement and everyone is able to move forward appropriately.
Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to click that subscribe button. I know it's ambitious, but trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, I think we could do it together. Don't forget to take the time to comment and like the video. I really appreciate the feedback, whether it's making my speech or trying to make my speech slow, slow down a little bit, try to be a little bit more articulate in the videos. Thanks to you, I was able to bring that more to my attention, put it on my list of things that I'm trying to improve on, or whether it's giving me feedback, whether it comes to the UAW issue, or maybe it's political stats, or maybe just your experience in certain business segments. The more data, the better. I'd love to hear your experiences, and I could bring them up next time we talk about them on the show. So don't get to leave the comments. I greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to tell your friends, tell your families, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.